WAPG Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 303. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A in the APG Headquarters building in Roswell, Georgia. In this episode, a 747 engine shutdown, full LAVs forces diversion, an Airbus A321 destroyed by satellite antenna fire, a couple of A380 super jumbo incidents, and Hats off for KLM pilots. More news, your feedback, and the latest Plain Tales installment, Wrong Way Ferguson. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 303 is ready for pushback. Hello and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast where we, surprisingly enough, every week talk about aviation. I'm a captain for a major U.S. legacy airline, and joining me from the Carolinas, doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. It helps if I unmute myself for my... Uh, I thought I'd no, done something wrong. No, that was my fault. I was <laughs> rearranging all of my screens on my computer in a nice orderly fashion, and I was listening to you talking to me and neglected to unmute myself. So there you go. Oh, no problem. But no problem. Happy to see all you fine gentlemen this afternoon and evening and looking forward to a great show, 303. We are looking forward to it as well. And from his sprawling country estate... Southwest of London, a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, currently captain for an international airline based in London, Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff, and uh, hi, Steph, and I know Dana's going to be joining us in only a few seconds. Oh, what a delight to be back on the show. Really looking forward to another good one. It's uh, only half past nine at night here, so uh, uh, I suspect it'll be a post-midnight finish, but I'm going to be here to the end. Awesome. We're glad that you are. Ah, you hear that in the background, that motorcycle cranking up from his stately mansion in and near the historic Covered Bridge in Cobb County, Georgia. Barbecue master, bourbon connoisseur, motorcycle riding pilot for a major U.S. legacy carrier, Captain Dana. Well, good evening or good afternoon. Good morning, wherever you happen to be listening from. Great to be back for 303. I am as well looking forward to another fun uh, episode here at the APG. And great to uh, see Steph, Captain Nick, and Captain Jeff, of course. Uh, great to be a part of the show. So let's get it going. Let's do it. Let's do it. So let's do a quick catch up. Um, did anybody say catch up? Catch up? Catch up. Catch up. Yeah. Heinz? Mustard? Yeah. Uh, let's see. What have you all been up to since the last episode last week? Uh, Dana? 
You weren't with us I, last week. I was not. I was actually so, working. Oh, okay. And, what was so that's your excuse. Huh? That is my excuse. And amazingly enough, I went from sun fun to well, darn near six inches of snow. Um, went from uh, having a nice Orlando layover for well, close to nineteen hours, and then flew up to uh, Cincinnati. <laughs> had a little layover there, and then did a Fort Lauderdale turnaround. Came back and was supposed to deadhead back to Atlanta. Well, they were having a little snowstorm in Atlanta for those folks that don't know huh? what was going on. Yeah, no kidding, huh? No way. No way. <laughs> and they reduced the arrival rate down to 38 per hour. Now, What is it normally? It's. I think it's right around 110. Per hour. Yeah, it's like 110 to 130 20, or something, something like that. Like that. Maximum. They yeah. have all three runways going uh, for arrivals. And so they didn't have the gate space and, uh, and the amazingly enough being a Southern carrier in Atlanta, uh, they don't have a whole lot of de-icing equipment or space. So it really limited the operation. Um, before I understand uh, the operation is, is back up very quickly and did a great job on uh, restoring the ops. So uh, I got to experience uh, sitting around the Cincinnati, Cincinnati, that's a nasty, uh, Cincinnati airport um, and had some uh, gold star chili. Is that the one that's there? I can't remember, but I had some gold star chili and then. Uh, was, I think they have both um, gold star and uh, no, they cl- the other one. They closed one down. Oh, so they only okay. have the one on the corner. They had the one back in the back of the food court and think that was the gold star. Oh, I thought you were talking about the city itself. No, no, the airport. Not the airport. No, I had yeah. the airport tour. So, gotcha. um, yeah, uh, got to uh, sit around waiting to get released to Atlanta and got on uh, on the standby because my deadhead flight canceled. As a matter of fact, four, no, eight flights canceled, four after my deadhead, the uh, uh, flight I hopped on, and then the next four the next morning, uh, all canceled. So I would have been stuck in Cincinnati for a long time. Instead, I got to make a snowman out front in my yard and had a good time. So we had a little fun here in Atlanta with the snow. So, you know, you said uh, Cincinnati, and it, it reminds me. And please, if you're from the Cincinnati area, please don't take offense, because we in the airline industry like to uh, like do that kind of thing for various cities, like uh, LaGuardia La sometimes is referred to as LaGarbage. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some other examples? Um, well, what's uh, Rapid City. Mini, they call Mini, uh, Minneapolis. Everybody calls it Mini. Well, in Rapid City. Rapid is, uh, is, we can use our imaginations there on that one. Well, okay, yeah, because it, all United States airports begin with a K, right? right? Oh, so yes. The oh. Rapid City code is RAP. So I'm not going to say it, but yes. you can use your imagination. Well, you'd be Little careful Rock. with Charlotte then. Well, no, Little Rock. Little Rock is worse, definitely. Yes. Definitely. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Yep. Yep. You're right. That actually spells it out. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. And then I always say we're going from cattle to somewhere, um, you know, wherever we're going. And the other one is the toilet. Uh, the toilet? Yep. Detroit. Yeah. So yeah, Anyway, we have, little, we have fun. So a little further afield. All of this. Yeah. A little yes. further afield, Nairobi, we always used to call Nairobbery. Nairobbery. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So all that stuff that you didn't know about. Well, maybe you did, but uh, it's kind of kind of fun to talk about that, that sort of thing. Um, oh, Liz is saying that I need to put a disclaimer in there for the lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> we get one Probably of those too late, at the Liz. end of the show, don't worry. And on the on the video, by the way, I'm sure that I've already uh, received a um, a note in my 
email say, stating that the uh, U.S. Air Force Airmen of Note uh, is copyrighted material, but it's not. It's a government institution, and you cannot copyright their work. So, <laughs> <laughs> but that Just still doesn't that mean that I'm right at the beginning too. You know? I am going to get the the, na- the nasty note from uh, YouTube, and then probably it's not going to be available in certain countries. And uh, for that, I apologize. But if you're listening to the audio only, chances are you'll you'll be able to get it. So, anywho, uh, let's see what else is uh, going on. Uh, Steph, were you uh, caught up in any kind of uh, snow activity there in Charlotte? No, it's uh, on, um, gosh, what day? Friday? No, Thursday? What day did it actually? It was Friday. It was Friday. But I actually want to say it was on. Or may have been Saturday for you. Yeah, Saturday for her probably. The day that you went to Chicago. I went to Chicago Chicago. on Saturday, so I didn't see any. There was was not a lot of snow here. Um, There was one day where we had kind of big fat flakes coming down for um, a couple of hours. And I actually want to say it was on Thursday, but that doesn't seem right. Must have been Friday. Yeah, so I somehow ended up at Starbucks and was watching that. Hmm. Yeah, I think it was hmm. Thursday. Anyway, whatever day it was, um, none of it stuck to the ground, so it doesn't really matter. But it was kind of nice to see, have a little uh, wintry pre-Christmas get you in the spirit of the holidays kind of thing. <clears throat> Especially since we don't get that too often down here in the South, but we definitely didn't have what Atlanta had. Um but I did go to Chicago on Saturday just for the day to uh, catch up and um, just have a day with one of my best friends all the way from going back to grade school, back to like second grade. We've we've known each other and been close friends. So that was really- That was just a couple of years ago, right? Just a couple of years ago. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Because she's so young. Yeah. Uh, it was more than a couple of years ago. But anyway, oh. uh, great friend of mine. And um, yeah, leaving uh, Charlotte just because it had been, it mostly had rained overnight. There was a little bit of snow, but with the temperatures, we did de-ice on the way out of Charlotte. And then we got to Chicago Midway where it was snowing, Um, but it was really only snowing at the airport. And as soon as I left the airport, it was all of a sudden sunny again and just a little bit of snow on the ground, nothing crazy. You know, driving was fine. It was weird. I was like, oh, this isn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it was freezing cold. It was very cold, very windy that day, and I was glad we were just planning on spending most of the day inside and catching up. So, with a nice bottle of wine. Awesome. So, very nice hey, weekend. But yeah, one bottle of wine. <laughs> well, who's counting? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, not to leave anybody out, I believe that uh, Captain Nick, you had some snow up in your neck of the woods too. Oh, right. just uh, compared with you guys, just a, a very mild sprinkling. But we did have had a few days where it's been uh, majorly sub-zero, uh, but that has gone pretty quick. I mean, uh, we're in one of those areas where uh, we get influenced by about four or five different uh, major airstreams. Uh, and it's only when we get that uh, pure northerly flow uh, right down from the Arctic, which can reach well into uh, the UK, does it suddenly uh, plummet? And a lot of the time we're getting a nice mild uh, flow from the west over the Atlantic, which can often be wet this time of the year, but temperatures are reasonable. Uh, eventually, uh, you know, due to the rotation of the earth, we'll uh, swivel a little further uh, north effectively and uh, we'll get more northerly uh, chilly winds or perhaps something off uh, from the east for heaven's sake, which is like Moscow bound. And, you know, Moscow is going to be full of snow. So we get that uh, awful weather across uh, on occasions. But uh, up to now, just that one really bad spell. Uh, it obviously affected uh, the north of the country much more than down here. 
uh, we call our, or we get called the uh, southern the southern softies, softy southerners, um, because we get so little cold weather. When it happens down here, we all panic and put our hands up in the air and go, ah! You know, so the same thing that stops. happens here, basically. Yeah. Yeah, except for they call us rednecks down here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't resemble that remark. <laughs> you see, yeah, uh, yeah, Dana will be well familiar with uh, r- true wintry conditions from Boston when he yes. gets pretty lousy out there. It does. So, Captain Nick, your wonderful Plain Tales episode in which um, the first version of episode 302 had some uh, extraneous um audio over it ah. and uh, we do apologize for that i, I got the fixed got, version up yeah, the next day very quick but uh anyway uh it, it was uh nick's brevity code you had some kind of a contest in there so I, i'm sure we have just tons of people sending in um email to our air our, our, our mailbag to, oh, to try to win this contest yeah no, there's too many for me to go through and sift okay winner so uh I'm just going to have to give the answer now. Okay. So the question was, it was uh, uh, an imaginary version of Colonel Jeff in his uh, eagle, and uh, he's in uh, he's in a fight, and he's using his NATO brevity code to tell his controllers uh, he's in a bit of uh, trouble. And he uses the following phrase, a Winchester tumbleweed bingo, spike in my six, sandwiched bogey dope, parrot dead, hold hands, scramming home plate weeds. So the question was, what does all that stuff mean? And uh, here's the answer. So okay. pin your ears back, guys. It means no ordinance remaining, limited situational awareness, what we might call a grape, hanging in the air, ready to be plucked. Minimum fuel state need to return a base with a radar warning receiver indication of an AI threat in uh, track launch or unknown mode directly behind me. That's Spike in my six. That's it. Spike in my six. Okay. He's about to get shot down. Um, my aircraft is positioned between opposing aircraft and I request uh, target information. So that would be bogey dope. My transponder isn't working, parrot dead. Stay in visual formation, hold hands. I need an emergency uh, directive to egress for survival reasons, so scramming to my home airfield, home plate, uh, below 2,000 feet in the weeds. So that's what it all meant. So why would Colonel Jeff say it like all that? Well, that's just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to. Because it took a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> a lot quicker to say that no actually i of course i i assembled a whole bunch of code words together normally you'd just use them one at a time so uh, oh okay good you'd, you'd <laughs> if tell you have to the use all of those it. together you're really in a tough spot you'd have to go see the flight surgeon yeah, exactly that right you, you might say uh, i'm uh, winchester uh and heading home plate so i've no weapons left i'm heading for base or you might just call a six spike in my six uh, and uh, that would uh, people would uh, that would be one event. But have all that in one go. I think only Colonel Jeff could probably manage all that in one go. Well, you know, he kind of babbles like that a lot. So he does after he's had a f- couple of beers. But being an eagle driver, you know, they did tend to suffer this sort of thing quite regularly. <laughs> oh boy! <Wow. laughs> Here we go. So uh, it's not just limited to Airbus and Boeing. Uh, <laughs> Good Lord, though. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
Oh, boy. Hey, you know what? I got some great news today. Do you remember this uh, gentleman uh, flying the, the C-130? In fact, he went up to, um, uh, what was the name of the base? Um, starts with an E-M in uh, England. Um, Mildenhall. Mildenhall. You mean and, uh, uh, CJ? CJ, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, well, CJ sent some uh, correspondence, and he says, and I, I figured that this was be, this would be the best time to do it right at the beginning of the show. Uh, Captain Jeff, Doctor Steph, Old Dot Pilot, Captain Dana slash Tony, and APG crew. I don't know whoever's left in that, but uh, anyway, covers everything. It's been about 13 months since my appearance on APG at the Farnborough meetup, and then as the subject of one of Captain Nick's interviews, and I thought I'd send an update. After retiring from the Air Force in February, I spent 7.5 months as a CRJ first officer with Sky Acme based in Chicago. This week, we had no idea. I didn't know anyway. Did you guys know no. that he had gotten hired? I by knew he was applying, yeah. but I didn't know how far he got. Okay. Uh, this week, I'll mention that this week is the second week of December, since this might not get played until March. <laughs> uh, very funny. Um, I actually got this today. Uh, I just completed OE, or what we sometimes call it IOE, with Acme, and now am qualified as one of Acme's newest Mad Dog First Officers based in Atlanta. Well, hey! Fantastic. Good enough, bro. Now, does that mean he has to start frothing at the mouth now? Since he's a mad dog. <laughs> Small, it's, a, it's just, you know, minor part of the job requirement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Does he have anyway, shots? He goes on. And what's exciting about that is that uh, I might get the chance to, to fly with CJ sometime. Oh, yeah, he's so. such a cool guy. Yeah, so Me. I seriously, this, he goes on, yeah. I seriously cannot overstate how much help you and the APG crew were in landing my dream job at Acme. I'm sorry I was out of the area dur- dur- uh, doing OE during episode 300. It looked like a lot of fun. Looking forward to many more episodes, many more debates about Airbus versus Boeing, many hours of hand flying by sundial. Sorry, bad <laughs> mad dog joke. And maybe even seeing you out on the line. Regards, former C-130 CJ. C.J. Hemmer, now Acme First Officer. That is such such great news, and congratulations. And uh, we never doubted that uh, you could get where you wanted to go, C.J. So that's no, awesome. that, that that's was awesome. his aim, and uh, he's achieved it. So uh, brilliant, thumbs up, good job, yeah. C.J. Congratulations, you know, we're welcome. Seeing, yeah, we're seeing more and more of these kind of stories. Um, you know, uh, all over the APG community, and uh, it's really rewarding to all of us that uh, we're helping people and encouraging people, motivating them to uh, go for it. And uh, and we uh, we hope that we continue to do so and not have the opposite effect on you. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if we do, you don't have to let us know. It's okay. Yeah, don't send in the email. Quietly. We'll throw it in the trash. Okay. <laughs> Circular file. Yeah. All right. Anything else before we uh, head on to the coffee fund? I don't think so. Nope, not here. All right, let's do the coffee fun then. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the Java Java and it loves me. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. 
Apparently I can't sing that low. All right, well, they continue to sing in the background. They're singing the uh, Java Jive, my karaoke peeps. Let me tell you uh, why we're playing the Java Jive. We're talking about the Coffee Fund, which is your way to support our show financially. Now, you'll note that we do not have any advertisers on our show, and uh, that's because we are completely supported by our listeners. And uh, we have a fine bunch of folks who have... uh, made the sacrifice and the commitment to supporting us in a financial way. As we always like to say, though, if uh, you need your money for the essentials of life, which includes flying lessons, please don't send us any money. But if you happen to be doing well and you're a successful person and you want to help us out and help encourage us to continue this thing, please consider joining the Coffee Fund Cadre. And you can learn information about how you can do that over at AirlinePilotGuy.com coffee. And since the last episode, a recurring donation from Jeff and Anissa Moeller in the uh, Northern California Bay Area. Uh, they sent in their monthly donation via the Coffee Fund Classic method, which is uh, via PayPal. And on the uh, Patreon side of things, we had a couple patrons that uh, left, and, and this is true every episode. Uh, people's financial situations change and their tastes change and all that kind of stuff. And so it's not unusual for us to see a few that have dropped out. But good news is we have some new pledges, some new patrons since the last show. I believe we mentioned Vaughn Turney on the last show, but if not, we'll mention him again. Vaughn, welcome. And uh, Steve Perry actually bumped his up from $1 to $4 per episode. So thank you very much, Stephen Perry, for that. Um, And Dave S., a new patron, a new producer. Thank you very much for your commitment. Thank you very much, all of you, for your contributions to the Coffee Fund. Again, airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. Stand by for news. Okay, let's uh, hit the news folder, and uh, let's start with uh, this British Airways Boeing 747-400 at Phoenix on December 6th. We're recording this today. It is the 13th, so about a week ago. Um, This is from the Aviation Herald, a British Airways Boeing 747-400 registration. Usually I skip over the registration, but then people that do a lot of serious plane spotting say, don't do that. We do care about the registration. So Golf, Charlie, India, Victor, Mike, performing flight BA-288 from Phoenix to London Heathrow with 234 people on board was in the initial climb out of Phoenix's runway 8 when the crew declared Mayday, 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 reporting the number 3 engine, an RB-211 Rolls-Royce inboard right hand, was shut down and advising they'd stop the climb at 6,000 feet and enter a hold. A runway inspection was conducted the next arrival needed to go around due to the ongoing runway inspection. While in the hold, the crew advised that they had no fire and wanted to dump fuel 
The aircraft climbed to 8,000 feet later than 10,000 feet, dumped fuel, and returned to Phoenix for a safe landing on runway 8 about one hour after departure. There's a video in this, uh, it'll be in the show notes, this uh, link to the Aviation Herald, and uh, you can see the uh, what appears to me to be a serious compressor stalling situation on the number 3 engine, and uh, they you know, safely secured the engine and decided that uh, the, uh, the best thing to do would be to lower the weight of the aircraft and then uh, put it back down on the ground at Phoenix. But the interesting thing to me, and I don't know if you all had a chance to read some of these comments in the uh, Aviation Herald uh, website, but many of them were kind of faulting the crew for not just going from there all the way to London Heathrow on three engines. And of course, the airplane is capable of doing that, but, uh, you know, airline policies and, oh, some of the regulatory agencies may have um, taken umbrage uh, doing that sort of thing. Now, I'm not sure what the what the uh, CAA or the, uh, uh, what's your uh, new uh, European? Um, EASA. Uh, EASA, there we go, um, would think about it. But I know that the FAA would definitely frown uh, about taking an airplane that you, you've just taken off and then going all the way across the Atlantic Ocean uh, on just three engines. Well, what do you, it's what do you happened think? before, Jeff. Uh, a mm-hmm. BA 747 got out of Los Angeles, and they had an engine failure, and I don't think it was nearly as dramatic as this one. Uh, and they decided to continue and see how they were going to cope getting home, and they went across America, and everything seemed to be fine, so they carried a on across the Atlantic, not sure if they got all the way back to uh, Heathrow because, of course, with one dead engine, uh, your fuel consumption is going to be a little higher. They may have thrown into Shannon or somewhere like that. And um, there were a lot of uh, quite serious questions asked, uh, and I never found out anything because there was no official inquiry that I know of, but certainly a lot of doubt was cast on whether that was the most sensible actions of the crew. Uh, and this was considerably more dramatic than that, I think. So uh, my feeling is that the crew did exactly the right thing. Uh, if you've got an engine, and by the looks of the video, there were chunks of the engine uh, uh, coming out of the back, so it looked like there were blades failing and um, being spat out at the back of the engine because you could see uh, little glowing meteorites coming, uh, you know, glowing lumps of metal coming out of the back of the uh, engine. So you don't know where those blades have gone, whether it's been completely uncontained or not. There might be uh, damage to the uh, wing, undersurface of the wing, possibly the adjacent engine. And uh, in my mind, whenever I've got a system failure like that, I go, okay, I'm now down to three systems or three engines or whatever the situation is. Uh, The next failure I'm going to get, assuming it's on the same system, will leave me with only two. Now, with three, I might be just about okay. If I'm halfway across the Atlantic and I lose another engine, what sort of a situation am am I in? And then it becomes uh, quite a severe problem. If you're on a four-engine airplane, you're only on two power plants. That's a significant problem. I mean, a really a significant problem. And uh, to put yourself in a situation where you might, uh, you've reduced your chances of uh, successfully completing the flight. Uh, and uh, if you lose one more power plant, you uh, might actually endanger the safety of the aircraft to a, a greater extent. Then I think it's very sensible to stay. And uh, we, we, 
geez, we're always on the on the side of safety, uh, and no one is should ever criticise a captain for taking the safest option. He's doing what he considers to be uh, the best. Uh, and um, uh, the only time I think uh, a captain deserves criticism was when he fails to take the safest option. And uh, I think had he carried on, that would much uh, be much more uh, likely to have happened. Well, you know, it doesn't stop the armchair pilots out there, especially hanging around the Aviation Herald website. Oh, good from, Lord, yeah. They're, they're they're of, uh, yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who think, oh, a bunch of wimps. But uh, you try sitting in the seat making that decision, and uh, you'll just find out how hard it is. <laughs> what do you think, Dana? Well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a uh, really good movie that was uh, put out about a specific uh, airplane that went down in the Hudson and how the... NTSB and the FAA and everybody tried to fry the uh, captain that made the decision. Not going to make do, uh, mention any names because we all know who that is and his first officer, of course. They made the decision that they were uh, immediately tried to be hung on uh, that they could have been, you know, made it back to the airport. Listen, we all are in a situation in a time-based situation. We have to make a decision with the best decision that we can make at that time with the information that is presented to us. Uh, I absolutely agree with Nick, and I absolutely agree with that captain um, that in probably that flight crew, the safest thing to do is if you have an inoperative engine or an inoperative anything that is questionable whether it's safe to fly the airplane any distance, well, land at the, the closest or nearest suitable airport, and then then think about what you want to do. Certainly, I would not ever take an airplane that has an inoperative system and fly it across the pond. And uh, being that, you know, and Nick brought it up perfectly, is that you've got three engines out there. Yes, you can do it. And I'm sure, you know, one of the comments I read was, you know, you can ferry, you can take the aircraft off and ferry the airplane with three engines. Of course, if, if you can get a waiver and do that without jeopardizing the safety of the passengers on the aircraft, then then that's fine, but not with all those passengers and crew on the aircraft. Absolutely not. I absolutely agree that uh, he made the best decision he possibly could at that time. And uh, the only thing I'm having a problem with is taking Nick seriously because he's got those Tweety Birds going around his head. So. <laughs> well, you know what? He's like, I hear so much sense coming out now, of if, if, you're, if you're not seeing yeah, the video the on the program, Nick is wearing a very nice Santa Claus hat with these blue Tweety birds that keep on twirling around his head. Like he, but those are actually birds in his house that are twirling around yeah, his head. I don't. Sure. They're trained or something. Yeah, yeah something. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I, I can't get rid of the damn things. I'm sorry. I'm trying to well, you know what? We, we need to make a, a good point here. Uh, Dana, I don't know if uh, the folks here are with us uh, live, if you noticed what a great picture and uh, what great audio we're getting from Dana on today's show. Yay! And, yeah, it's awesome. He, he has a direct Ethernet connection to his router downstairs. So uh, hopefully nobody trips over that on the way upstairs. Yeah, it's a 100-foot cord running from one end of the house to the other. Of course, I only needed about 60 to 65 feet, but <laughs> I figured I'd be safe and go with a 100-footer. So oh, it, it's much better. I, I, I am so happy. So we uh, next time we have a party over at Dana's, we can actually set up outside in his backyard and you know take that big 100-foot-long cable with us, right? Yes, yeah. front, front yard. Yep, from yeah. 
Anyway, oh, by the way, that story you were telling me about, uh, you know, that movie about the two engine failure, I just learned that that was actually based on a real, a real thing. Um, that really happened. It did really. It, and that's, that's why I'm bringing it up is because <laughs> it really did happen. Hey, Jeff, <laughs> no, if you'd like NTSB to see the airplane infection. sometime, you can come visit me here in Charlotte if you'd like to see that airplane sometime. So. I would love to. I would love to. I, I've been meaning to go to that uh, it's actually museum. a very cool exhibit. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll take you up on it. And can we have some good North Carolina beer as well? We sure can. Awesome. Well, can we have some beer and then go to the exhibit? Yeah. As, oh, long, as, as long as there's not too much. <laughs> yeah. You, you may want to actually process and enjoy what you see there, but yeah. It's an Airbus. Isn't that great? I know, I know, I know what that is like. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. <laughs> now. Uh, let's see. Anything else to say about that 747 incident? I think, I I, I think we all agree. Too. They did. No, you just left me, you left me out again. Yeah. Congrats. Well, come you on. You guys are talking about beer. Nobody mentioned bourbon. Oh, oh bourbon too. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank bourbon, you. Bourbon, like bourbon, bourbon. Thank you. So, uh, so when, what, well, when we say beer, now, we mean <laughs> bourbon too. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Nick. I'm talking over you. That's okay. Uh, I was just going to say congrats to the crew because uh, it looked like that happened very soon, uh, if not at the rotate, uh, which is probably the nastiest time to get an engine failure. So, uh, you know, we, we train for it a lot, I know, because uh, they always give us the, the most critical uh, – time to get an engine failure and often on the most critical engine i think it was the number three that went on his so not quite the most critical engine but certainly at a dreadful time and uh, congrats i say to the crew for uh, doing such a good job with it and uh, there were some questions as to what why he put out a mayday that's pretty standard for us if we get uh an engine failure particularly one that's associated with fire you start with a mayday uh, and uh, if you get the situation under control and you uh, think about it, which or a good pilot will usually do, then you'll often downgrade that to a pan so that it goes from uh, my aircraft is in distress to uh, I am in a situation of urgency. So um, that you know that was another comment came out in uh, the Herald, which I think is worth mentioning. Absolutely, yeah, good job, even. Even considering there were a bunch of British blokes. Yeah, in a Eustace old Boeing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Off to get started there with the. Yes, we are. Yes. Love it. Okay, let's play some audio here. This is our next news item. Delta 453, just a heads up. Uh, Company said you guys were having communication issues. They said they heard you coming in clearly, but I guess the issue was uh, them getting back to you. Okay, copy. Yeah, I was, just, I was just giving the heads up to ops just to find out if we got a gate because we're a emergency. Uh, we got a bunch of people that probably going to get off the airplane for bathroom. Delta 453, uh, it's my understanding you guys won't be forming in the terminal. You can expect to go to the uh, cargo ramp, I think is what they said. Okay, yeah. Well, okay, we'll work with the ops guys. Yeah, but we're probably going to need last to get these, you know, 170 people here that need to go to the bathroom. We've been full on the bathrooms for a while, so I'll work with the ops guys, though. I appreciate the heads up. Yep. Delta 453, turn right, hitting 190. 190, Delta 453. Delta 453, 7 miles from Zeller. Hello, Tower Delta 453 is about a half mile from the Zeller for two eight right. Delta 453, good evening, Billings Tower, wind 050 at 5, runway 28 right, clear to land. Clear to land, 28 right, Delta 453. Delta 
453, continue down, turn left at Foxtrot, left on Alpha, taxi via Alpha, cross runway 25, then contact ground point enter. Okay, left on Foxtrot, up on Alpha, cross 25, and ground, what's on the other side is 25 for Delta, 453. And it looks like you'll be parking over towards the tower, but ground will bring you on over with Progressive. Yeah, we're working that. We're trying to figure out where we get a gate. Uh, they're not going to put you at a gate. It doesn't look like they got ground personnel and everything out here in front of the tower. Okay, yeah, we're working. Delta 453, go ahead and just remain this frequency if you haven't already pushed ground, and we'll just do it all here. Okay, no, I'm staying with you until I cross 25, and I'll stay with you now. And we got the, I think the following side of the nose. Yeah, it's that Charlie vehicle straight ahead, uh, coming out with the orange lights. Just follow them. They're gonna kinda, you gotta kinda loop around back towards the tower and you're gonna face, uh, the FedEx 75 that's over here off my left side. And, uh, they got some ground guides and some, uh, uh marshals for you. Okay, thanks. Appreciate it. Delta 453. Alright, Delta 453 also. Be advised we may have some passengers that urgently need to find a lavatory. <gasps> Alright, uh, Charlie 4, you got that? Gotta go! Gotta go, let me off the airplane. They were probably not happy to learn that they were not going to get a gate because that's usually where the bathrooms are located, in the terminal, after you get off the airplane through the jetway. Um, probably not, uh, I'm not sure exactly what happened after that. But uh, this was a Delta Airlines Boeing 757-200 uh, performing flight 453 from New York to Seattle. It was en route at flight level 380 about 180 nautical miles north of Billings, Montana, when all toilets ceased functioning, with passengers queuing up and indicating they needed to visit the toilet. And that's not a very comfortable thing. Advising all toilets were full and passengers needed to go really bad, the crew decided to divert to Billings, where the aircraft landed safely on runway 28 right. We just heard that. No gate was available. The aircraft taxied to the cargo apron. Advising again, there were a couple of passengers that needed to empty their bladders on the tarmac apparently <laughs> they had to go very very urgently uh they were probably doing the dance and we all know what that is um well one has the question did they service the labs before they they uh, left jfk or or the other question is are people really full of that much crap okay it's a good here. question it's, yeah, it's a good, question. It's a good now, philosophical question <laughs> Now, if uh, if dispatcher Mike were uh, with us in the chat room, he could probably answer that. And I think I've I've heard him, or I've seen him discuss this kind of an issue on uh, a different airplane, maybe the seven six or whatever, where it was about to head out over the uh, pond, and they ended up uh, stopping short and not going over the Atlantic routes because uh, because of the fact that the system uh, was. Uh, not working and uh, they had to get that fixed before they proceeded for hours over the uh, North Atlantic. Um, have you ever had that kind of situation, Nick, uh, where, where you had toilets kind of acting up? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, some 20 odd years ago when, uh, in fact, more than that, when we first got the 340s, they had a pretty, um, uh, what's the, a, a sensible term to use, uh, fragile um or toilet system and uh, it was all based around the two tanks at the back of the aircraft and uh, they were it, they were much too clever for their own good and uh, they uh, they frequently used to fail by indicating they were full when they weren't and it would instantly shut down all the toilets on that side of the aircraft and if the other tank that had the same fault then you had no toilets whatsoever uh, and uh, at one point uh, Acme Red's boss uh, the big man at the top um, after a few weeks of this and some dreadful PR, 
uh, he basically said to uh, Airbus, um, if uh, you don't get some guys, this was on a Friday afternoon. You can just imagine what happened at Airbus headquarters. If you don't get these toilets fixed uh, in the next like 48 hours, I'm going to have these aircraft all back on your airfield at Toulouse. And that'll be the last we'll see of them. Uh, so uh, with that threat hanging in the air, I mean, this is apocryphal. This is what we heard. So uh, it sounds pretty like him. But uh, very quickly, they um, found a way to disable these sensors in the short term and um, and get everything working again. But we just had a dreadful few months uh, when we first brought these into service. They're, yeah. of course, very reliable now. But uh, this was back in the early day. We were the launch customer for that aircraft. So, uh, you know, in the UK. So, yeah, it was an interesting time. Hmm. I mean, what do they have six sack on the airplane for? Just use that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, well, I don't want to be sitting next to the person that had to <laughs> no, use a just six go to sack. The bathroom to, and just you know pile them neatly. I can't wait till wow. you're Captain Dana. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. It'll be a completely <laughs> different headline in the aviation room. <laughs> just pull toilets your broken, six sack. passengers forced to use. Yeah. Wow. Acme Captain doesn't last but two trips before grounded <laughs> <laughs> for bad decision. Pathetic decision making process. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anyway, uh, this is not like we were ever doing uh, one hour, hour and a half trips. I mean, uh, the shortest trip was like six hours. So, you yeah, need this was a- about a probably a six hour flight going from uh, Kennedy to Seattle is probably at least six hours. All right. Okay. So, I, I, mean, yeah. I think the captain made a, a sensible decision because uh, uh, it probably didn't take long to uh, have a splash and dash. Uh, in more ways than one, he had to. <laughs> the passengers had to splash, and he had to have a bit of splash of fuel, and then he dashed off again. He was probably on the he on the ground for an hour. Well, you know, you know the only reason everything. why he diverted, right? It's because the pilots had to go. <laughs> had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> exactly. Exactly you didn't say exactly. which passengers had to urgently. <laughs> no. Yeah. Count the pilots I, as passengers on that aircraft. I'm thinking the same thing, Dana. I know what happened here. <laughs> I love. I know what happened. Well, to be honest, you fell. That was it. We're who, was on, who was on the tarmac going to the bathroom? Oh, I love it. I love it. We're often glued to our seats, like uh, for the hour, whole hour before departure. The passengers can at least uh, use the facilities right up to the point at which we start moving. We're often stuck in our seats well before that so Mm -hmm. we have an extra hour of uh, bladder capacity to try and cope with you don't have a pdp procedure pre-departure p yeah pre-departure we we don't do that we oh come on now we're pretty yeah we we do we do Um, yeah even on our short flights you know we even on a flight to to augusta well you've only got about three buttons to push in your machine haven't you so i mean it doesn't take much setting up does it uh wow (laughs) <laughs> there we go. Well, Ding. wait. The first. Uh-oh, we we'll wow. counter that with you know, popular, come the gloves now. popular uh, theory would say that there's not many buttons to push in the Airbus either. It's just the takeoff and uh, land. I, I wouldn't even say they have buttons. No. <laughs> it's not even a button. It's, voice it's a switch. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so the passengers were able to disembark to find relief of built-up pressures, according to Simon. The aircraft continued to Seattle about three hours on the ground uh, after about three hours on the ground in Billings and reached Seattle after about 105 minutes with a delay of three and a half hours. So there you go. A happy ending, except that they weren't there on schedule. Oh, well. Um, this is not a happy ending for... Uh, let's see, who is this? Uh, Qatar or Qatar? Uh, your choice. 
they had an Airbus A321-231 on the ramp in Doha, I believe. They were doing uh, some maintenance work on the airplane, uh, apparently uh, adjusting or doing some work on the in-flight entertainment system. Uh, The satellite antenna caught fire during maintenance, and they were parked on a remote stand, and the fire burnt through a good portion of the upper fuselage of that airplane. And I was reading somewhere that somebody said that it's most likely a complete hull loss. And the airplane was only about seven years, five months old. Yeah. Did you see any of the pictures? Yeah. It's it's pretty incredible. I mean, yeah, the whole inside is just burned and yeah, lots of holes in the top of the fuselage. How come I'm not, how come I'm not shedding one tear? I don't know. Well, it's Qatar, number one. Number two, it's near us. So I'm not <laughs> okay. going to cry one bit. Well, well anyway, uh, the uh, I think that in this case that this would be is, – is that that part of the fuselage, is that composite on the uh, A321 or is that uh, – No, no, that's, that's straightforward. That's aluminum, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Or aluminum? Yep. Excuse me. Um, uh, I mean, uh, the, the thing that sends shivers down my spine, uh, Jeff, is that this just smacks us. I'm sure that you've had the same thought, Swiss Air Flight 111, mm-hmm. uh, 111, that uh, had a similar sort of problem. This was an entertainment system that uh, had shorted out and set light to the uh, insulation uh, between the skin and the uh, plastic interior of the aircraft. And, of course, that was an appalling uh, accident. Uh, where they, everyone on board was killed when it, uh, they tried to divert the aircraft to Halifax, didn't make it in time. Um, and, uh, and the, the, you know, the thought of, uh, the captain out of his seat trying to fight the fire and the first officer at the controls desperately trying to keep airborne, uh, with the flames, uh, filling the cockpit, uh, would have just sent, uh, you know, been a nightmare scenario for any pilot. So the fact that this happened on the ground, thank God it did. Uh, and it didn't happen airborne. Um, if it was an engineering uh, problem, then perhaps it wouldn't have happened airborne. But still, any possibility of this kind of internal fire of that severity just fills me with dread. Well, I was yeah. just thinking, I mean, almost all commercial aircraft, well, not all, but quite a number of commercial aircraft out there have these in-flight entertainment systems and lots of wiring and electrical. And I mean, not just the in-flight entertainment systems, but it is scary to think that, you know, something like that can short and catch fire and who knows what happened in this circumstance, whether it was related to the maintenance somehow. I don't know that it was, but yeah. They're trying to make it sound that way. Anyway. They are, they are, but yeah, just something to yeah. think about. So uh, anyway, that, that was a shame to uh, lose a perfectly good, good airplane like that. But as we said, uh, good thing it happened on the ground and nobody was hurt. Absolutely. Um. This one, a little bit of a lighter kind of news. Um, KLM pilots will take their caps off. And KLM has made the announcement that pilots have worn caps since the earliest days of KLM's existence. Over the years, the style and look of the cap has changed to suit the fashion of the day. KLM no longer sees any added value in pilots wearing caps. Besides, the aim is to give pilots a more modern and accessible appearance. Consequently, the pilot's cap for women and men will no longer be worn at KLM and KLM City Hopper starting January 1st, 2018. Didn't we just talk about this on the last show about, you know, the uniform and how, you know, I thought that uh, the the cap, the uh, uh, the hat that we wear as pilots really 
kind of sets us apart and and gives us an a uh, an authoritative look and yeah, i think it's a that's exactly essential part said. of the uniform yeah yeah I, oh, well. I, I don't know i it, there are a lot of uh, younger men who uh think uh, a hat is a dreadful thing to wear and they ought to do anything to avoid bringing it to work or wearing it despite the fact that it's a it's a compulsory part of uh, the uniform um yeah. I might see this as a cost-cutting uh, measure since each hat probably costs somewhere between 60 and 80 pounds. I don't know, that's close to 100 bucks. And you multiply that by the number of pilots, and that's quite a lot of money. Yeah, but at our company, we pay for our uniform, so it wouldn't cost the company a darn thing. Now, I don't know what the deal is at KLM, but I have a feeling it might have more to do with the fact that the union pressured management to uh, – Get rid of the caps. I know that there's a uh, several people at our airline uh, at Acme that uh, would rather not wear the caps and and uh, hope that someday we'll have that negotiation in our contract and and it'll be gone. But I I hope that that doesn't happen personally. Well, I've always been of the opinion that the company pays me to do things. Wear two things. Wear a uniform. Fly an airplane. Yeah, it's all part and parcel of the job. You sign a contract saying I will wear this uniform and I will fly this airplane. And mm-hmm. uh, really, and honestly, once you got your job, it's a bit late to start bitching about it. Then, yeah, well, that doesn't stop everybody, though. You know that <laughs> it messes up my hair. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. it messes up my hair too. It's terrible. <laughs> no, I think I think that really suits you, though, uh, Dana. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, you look good in a hat. In, in in all in all honesty, I'd much rather wear a hat than a tie. I hate wearing ties. <laughs> I really hate them with a passion, but you know, I agree with you, Nick. I mean, listen, I, I see guys and girls and ladies or whatever you want to say, uh, not wearing their proper uniform, the way that it is described in the FOM. Now I'm not the hat police or the, or the tie police or the uniform police at all, but you know, it's all about taking personal pride and respect in, in, in your profession and what you do. So, I mean, it's an individual decision. Uh, if the company wants to, you know, pursue, any type of uh, any type of uh, uniform violations and uh, FOM standard violation, you know that's up to the individual, uh, the company and the individual. So I'm not going to be that guy, but I take pride in the way that I look when I go to work, uh, which is impossible for me to look good in a uniform. By the way, just being as big as I am, but uh, I know you look great in a uniform. <laughs> yeah, you do. And you know the other thing is, you know, it, uh, many of us were set. Well, a couple of us here uh, were. Uh, prior military and you know in the military you wouldn't it wouldn't even be a discussion i mean nobody's going to say you know what i don't think i'm going to wear my hat today i mean you you wear your your uniform because that's your uniform and that's it and then all of a sudden that same person comes and starts flying for acme or some other airline and decides well i'm going to be defiant and i'm not going to wear my hat and then of course they're either holding it or they got it hanging from their bag and i'm thinking you know if you really you know wanted to make a bold statement then leave your hat at home but they don't have the courage to do that because they're afraid that they might see somebody in the uh, concourse, like management kind of person, and they'll quickly put their hat on. You know, that's their conviction about, you know, wearing or not wearing a hat. And, yeah. uh, they just want to hurt thing. their pretty hair. Yeah, that's what I said. Exactly. Petty, really. But uh, I mean, uh, Acme Red's been through the uh, hat, no hat, and now we're back to a hat again. So uh, the company uniform went to a slightly retro look, 
and the retro look included a hat. So we got hats back again. But for several years, we've uh, been hatless. And we so we go through the cycle. It's all a matter of what the airline thinks is, uh, is suitable. And quite honestly, it's the management's uh, attitude. It should have nothing to do with pilots. We're contracted mm. to uh, do a certain thing and uh, dress a certain way. And that's certainly in our contracts. And uh, I think we uh, are obliged to be contract compliant. That's uh, part of the job. Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 we've, and we've all worked very hard to get in the position that we're, you know, whether you're military or civilian, and there's a particular company you want to go work for. A lot of people want to come to work for Acme. Some of the people want to go for, you know, uh, a red, white, blue airline, another one with the, a red and blue theme. Um, that was former Continental, you know, the, it doesn't matter what airline you want to go to work for, you know, you've got to take pride. And when you put that uniform on, uh, I realize some some people feel after, you know, 15, 20 years that they're entitled. It's still, you know, there are a lot of people on the outside looking in that would love to be in your position. And if you can't wear the uniform properly, then maybe you ought not to be in that position. And that sounds a little harsh, but take pride in what you do for a living and do it well and, and do what the company asks you to do. We uniform. And thanks to Brian Lewis in the chat room, a great quote from Smokey and the bandit quote. I only take my hat off for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Brian, for that. Was that too harsh? Um, no, no, no. Not just... at all. Oh, Hey, side tangent real quick though. Cause you're talking about, you know, having, worked hard for and, and earned the uniform, you know, that was always the uh, kind of the thing in medicine with doctors earning their white coat and wearing that and having that as a sign of their job title and responsibility and, you know, status and respect. Um, I will say I've not worn a white coat in quite some time. Some of that is actually a function of my office being 100 degrees all the time. And that extra layer is just way too hot. Um, but it's funny you go into a... You weren't naked? <laughs> yes no <laughs> but i just oh. you know i dress professionally i dress I go that very professional nice, bra. nice yeah exactly <laughs> very glad <laughs> to keep swimsuit, keep swimsuit. It nice and professional um you know there's some thought that perhaps they're not always the you know if they're worn day in and day out and you have only several of them um if you're in the hospital setting all the time with the long sleeves on them perhaps that's not the cleanliest of attire to be wearing you know perhaps short sleeves is a better idea so you can be washing your hands and uh, stuff like that more frequently. But also it's funny, you go into the hospital now and so many different uh, folks are, are wearing white coats. You know, everyone from the dietitians to the some of the nurses to advanced nurse practitioner, just everyone seems to be wearing white coats and it's just very hard to distinguish who's who. So I think your point about, you know, pilots wearing a pilot uniform distinguish who, distinguishes who you are and, you know, is, is part of the role that you play. So Yeah, but I, the one thing I don't get, why did doctors or nurses or anybody in the medical profession show up on an airplane wearing scrubs? Oh, because they're just comfortable. That's why. It's like pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just like military pilots, you know, flight suits. It's kind of like just wearing, yeah. you know, onesies <laughs> um, after you've worn them for a while. When you, when you put on a new 
Nomex flight suit. It's usually not the most comfortable thing, but after a few washings, I think that uh, Captain Nick would agree. They are very comfortable. Yeah, once you've and, washed all the fire proofing, yeah, they're not really any good. They're great. And what would we rather have? We'd rather have comfort than fire protection. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Unless you're in a fire. Okay, um, moving on. This incident, again, from the Aviation Herald. Uh, China Southern Airbus 380-800, registration B6137, performing flight 3104 from Beijing to Gongzhou with 395 passengers. Entered Wow, 395 passengers. That's a lot of people. Entered runway 36 right via taxiway Whiskey 2, lining up for departure when the aircraft turned more than 90 degrees needed. And came to a stop with the nose gear about one meter uh, off the left runway edge. The runway needed to be closed for about one hour until the aircraft was pushed back onto the runway. Aircraft was examined, released back to service, and reached Gongzhou with a delay of five, almost six hours. The airline reported the aircraft went off the runway by one meter due to improper steering operation and needed to be pushed back. So I think that was reading somewhere that the first officer was at the controls and it doesn't really go into much more detail, but I would imagine what happened here is just probably pushed the uh, throttles up all four. Uh, well, I guess your th- uh, thrust levers, I guess you would say. And uh, is there, well, tell us, we have an Airbus expert here with us and I'm sure that the A380 works in the same way that the 330 and 340 does with the thrust levers. Um, do you uh, put it to a certain position to allow the engines to stabilize before put it, putting it in the takeoff position? Yeah, that's exactly right, Jeff. Uh, I'm assuming the 380 is the same as uh, most big Airbuses. Uh, we have a, um, a position that just brings the engines up from idle. Uh, I think uh, on the ones with EPA, it's uh, like 1.05 EPA. And... Um, on the other ones, so before we had uh, EPA, it was like push them up to the 11 o'clock position. Uh, and uh, basically just make sure the engines all accelerate uh, evenly to that uh, position. And then once they're all uh, at that power setting, uh, the um, non-handling pilot calls stabilized. And then the handling pilot can advance the throttles to the uh, takeoff position, the flex position, if you're doing a flex takeoff or toga if you're not. Um, so, uh, yeah, and that makes sure that the engines accelerate evenly. So, in my opinion, uh, one of two things happened here. Uh, they advanced, perhaps they were using uh, outboard throttles to help uh, line the airplane up. And uh, then they advanced the throttles all the way up to uh, take off power, in which case the outboard engines would have accelerated faster than the inboards and swung them off the runway, or uh, they didn't bother with a proper stabilized, or the guy was just trying to uh, put uh, do a rolling takeoff without straightening the airplane sufficiently and put too much power on before they got the aircraft straight and uh, it just hurtled off in the direction it was pointing towards the edge of the runway. So um, what, any one of those uh, circumstances, or he just over-controlled it on the tiller. But normally by that time, 
we're usually hands off the tiller because uh, you've got the airplane straight enough uh, for the uh, rudder pedals with their limited noticeable steering to uh, keep the aircraft tracking straight. So, uh, you know, you're normally not whacking the tiller around, but uh, uh, if he was an inexperienced first officer and he got a bit out of control and decided the tiller was the thing to grab, perhaps he uh, put a huge tiller input and, and whack the airplane Too much. Off. Yeah, too much. Too, too much. Yeah, exactly right. But it sounds like they're all being a bit trying to be a bit too clever, perhaps, and a bit too quick, instead of taking things nice and steady, uh, and uh, got a bit out of control. So that would never happen in a Mad Dog. Please stop sending me the video of the <laughs> Acme airplane that. taking off from Norfolk, Virginia, <laughs> skidding along. I've seen that one with his like Daysville at ninety degrees, and he's going. Every, every month I get somebody, hey, have you seen this? Yeah. yeah. Have you listened to the show? We've yeah. talked about it several times. <laughs> and no, it wasn't me as far as I remember. Uh, that's um, a nice caveat, Jeremy. As wasn't far me. as I remember. I think it was Dana. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It was an old paint job, so it was quite some time ago that exactly. that happened. Actually. I mean, we all think it's a nice slick maneuver. If you've got the airplane well under control to do a rolling mm-hmm. takeoff as you smoothly bring the nose wheel onto the center line with the aircraft perfectly lined up. The guy calls stabilizer and you hit the full power and off you go. But for heaven's sake, what are you going to save just by getting the airplane properly lined up and then doing it? Five seconds, 10 seconds? Give me a Well, it break. seemed like a good idea at the time, Nick. Yeah, it does. It? <laughs> and in hindsight. Um, <laughs> exactly. Probably shouldn't have done That's that. It. Yeah, yeah. We, after all, we're flying airliners now, not fighters anymore. Right. Oh, well, I think the, the, the greatest tragedy here was just the uh, embarrassment and, of course, the inconveniencing of the passengers, you know, getting to their destination almost six hours late. That doesn't seem to have, you know, been any problem with the uh, hurting the airplane at all. So that's the good news, I guess. Yeah. Of course, and, it might have been a nasal steering failure. I don't know. Could be. Yeah. Could Although been. it did say in the article that it was a bad steering technique. All right. Okay. Well, what do they know? Yeah. What'd you say, uh, Dana? Don't they have a video camera on that tail that that shows them live feed of where they are taxiing? Yeah, yeah, but I, we, I we, we deselect it before we start taking off because it's usually where we want to look at instruments. <laughs> oh, oh, not fixate on the video. How cool do I look? <laughs> <laughs> we projected onto the screen that where the instruments would be. So before we start doing considering a takeoff roll, we flick away from that. I mean, it will flick automatically away, but in case it doesn't, uh, we manually deselect it before we line up. Cool. Didn't know that. Very, very cool. We learn something new every day. Okay. I know I do on the show. Uh, and then finally, the uh, last A380-800 incident, at least in today's news, uh, an Emirates uh, Airbus A380, registration A6EEU, performing flight EK207 from Dubai, United Arab Emirates, to New York City, JFK, was on final approach to New York's runway 13 left. And we talked about this approach last episode, I believe. Uh, yes, the, uh, we did, yes. Uh, he was flying the Canarsi approach, which requires a 90-degree turn onto a very short final. It's not that short, when the unless you're going to the wrong runway. Uh, when the aircraft descended below minimums, prompting Tower to warn Flight 207, you appear to be extremely low on approach. You know, I should have gotten the uh, audio on that. I forgot to. Oh, well. 
uh, you, you appear to be extremely low on approach. And then while the aircraft was about halfway into the turn, about to be a beam, the aqueduct racetrack, and uh, those of us uh, who fly have flown into Kennedy know exactly where that is, uh, about two and a half nautical miles before the runway threshold, the crew announced in response, in response, missed approach. The aircraft climbed out to safety, positioned for another approach, now to runway 22 left, and landed safely about 10 minutes after the government. I see I see a, a trend here. The uh, Valaris, or whatever the name of the airline was, that was aligned on 13 right improperly, uh, they vectored them over to uh, 22 left as well. So that must be like, okay, they can't handle the 13s. Let's put them over there on 22 left where they can't hurt anybody. Apparently. And I guess uh, it's a it's a little shorter vectoring rather than going right the way around the airport. That's again, true too. And having but, to uh, you know rejoin sequencing with everyone else yeah. and all of that. Okay. Stuff. Well, I was thinking it was just like uh, it was just. But easy. I think there's but, a bit of that too. But uh, yeah. we we did discuss this approach and said that uh, when you get dumped off at uh, can you remember the name of the waypoint, which is the missed approach point, the um, final fix, I should say. Uh, I avoid New York, so I don't remember. Canarsie, and then it's, I forgot what the name of the fix is. Yeah, there. Um, anyway, it's uh, whenever you get dumped off there and have to do that visual 90 degree turn, um, yeah. you're at about the right height for a three degree slope onto one three right, but you're pretty low for a three degree slope onto one three left. So for the first couple of miles, you effectively fly level. And you're doing a visual approach now. So there's no actual minimum for this approach once you've gone past uh, that final fix. Um, you're now in a visual element, so you just fly it uh, appropriately. Um, and But if you continue to come down at the, the, the previous descent rate, you're going to go very low. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, sir, FAA yeah. radar data suggests the aircraft was at 200 feet AGL Woo! at the lowest point. Well, that aqueduct's about halfway around the turn, isn't it? That's Yeah, that's about two and a half <laughs> miles from touchdown. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty low. So or were they looking outside at all? I don't know. <laughs> Did anybody uh, think, you important. know, this looks really kind of low? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> exactly. So The problem is that these international carriers, they're not teaching their, their uh, pilots to fly visuals. Well, that could be part of it, I, I guess. I, I don't know so. if that's an actual true statement or not. I don't know what uh, Emirates does. Um, perhaps if you're listening and you fly for that company, you know, let us know if you are trained in doing visual maneuvers. But, I would assume but, you are. But, but this this low descent rate from uh, that the end of the uh, instrument approach into the it is a gotcha, and it's a known gotcha. Uh, but it's only known if you read the notes and and or examine the descent rate that's required because quite honestly uh, most visual approaches require about a three degree slope we come around on a normal finals turn 1500 feet turn finals you're going to do about 800 feet a minute descent about three degrees all the way around this requires either a level sector or a very shallow approach compared with what you'd normally fly and if you do fly a normal visual finals turn with the normal rate of descent you would do you're going to end up where this bloke ended up and unless you yep. realize that beforehand, then he's going to drop himself in it. I wonder well, if this is the same Emirates A380 crew that uh, in September uh, was flying into Moscow and got about 400 feet above the ground, eight nautical miles <laughs> away from the runway. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's crazy. You ever, you ever hear three to one? I mean, it's it's pretty easy to calculate. Well, math, yeah. you know. Yeah, math yeah, is easy. Well, not everybody's got a calculator in their head, Dana. 
Oh, that's that's right. Not everybody flies uh, <laughs> Jurassic jets like we do. That's true. Have to think about these things. Yeah, I mean, just looking out the window, if you're 400 feet above the ground at eight miles away from the airport, it's going to look wrong, don't you think? Yeah, that's going to be like mm-hmm. no runway. <laughs> yeah, you won't be able to see the runway. <laughs> Like, well, that's probably the problem that they say. The treetops sat and look a little black. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can tell that guy's color, the color of his eyes. Wow, <laughs> we must be close to the ground. Oh, man. What, what, what yeah. were that couple doing in that apartment as we flew by? <laughs> At least <laughs> they have go. the sense to go around. Yes. <laughs> well, you know what? You can always, you can always go around. Thank you. Thank you. It's always fun to play that. Socks, baby, on the ground. You can always go around. And All right. uh, kudos to JFK can uh, visual controllers. I guess it's the uh, it's the tower, the Watcham coming around. Who spotted them disappearing into the right into the weeds? Into <laughs> <laughs> that big giant airplane. Yeah, I don't see right. it anymore. I love the yeah. statement. You appear to be extremely low on approach. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm sure they said you that appear to be like that. You appear to be lower than our position in the tower. Right. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's that's very low for a big airplane like that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's scary. Yeah, that's scary. All right. With that, uh, did I get all the uh, items in the news you folder? Sure I did. I did. Yep. Well, then Yay. let's move on to the best part of the show. Your feedback. Captain, incoming message. Hey, we have uh, we've had this one in our feedback folder for a while, and I've been waiting for Nick to be on to uh, respond appropriately. Uh, this is from Stuart, and let's see. Why don't I, what, you want to read this, uh, Captain Nick? Uh, by all means, yeah. Greetings, APG gang. One for Captain Nick. Pretty sure he would have flown the F4s and tornadoes out of here back in the day. Looks uh, like a lack of working transponder on the Typhoon was the main issue, preventing local and remote ATC providing adequate advisories. It's somewhat astounding that any aircraft with a military status is allowed off the ground without a working transponder. Um, so uh, perhaps we should refer to the title, which is Lossy Mouth Jet and Civilian Aircraft or Plane in Near Collision Off Wick, uh, which is not the end of a candle. It's, a, uh, it's an island uh, in northern Scotland, uh, which has an airfield on it. Uh, well, actually, it's Wick and Island. No, it's probably on the north coast of Scotland. Uh, I'm not absolutely certain about that without looking. So, uh, to carry on, uh, God knows they've been trying to sanitize and reduce the low-flying freedom of the RAF for years in the Scottish Highlands, but the RAF isn't doing itself a favor by letting fast jets out to play when no one can see them. Well, I have to point out, uh, Stuart, that the whole point of being a military airplane uh, out being tactical is that nobody does see you, uh, ideally. You don't really want people to find you um, because you're a military airplane and uh, being discreet and hiding, and uh, that's why we build stealth airplanes, for example. Uh, putting a transponder on uh, just makes you obvious to everybody. Um, so you have to kind of uh, bear in mind that if they were doing technical training, they might well have physically turned off their transponders uh, so that uh, attacking aircraft wouldn't be able to use that aid 
to find them. But so let me carry on. P.S. This article is just an excuse to get Captain Nick to talk about his time fast jet flying <laughs> in the valleys of Scotland, my home. Good to job, lol. Yeah, cheers, Stuart. Uh, Edmonton, A.B., Alberta, I'm guessing. So, Alberta. yes. Yep. And Alberta, to Canada. carry on, the actual incident says a military fast jet passed less than 100 meters above another aircraft. So we're talking about 350-odd feet uh, after the civilian pilots pushed the nose down of their plane to avoid a collision. The incident, incident involving an RAF Lossiemouth Typhoon and a BAE British Aerospace uh, Jetstream 41 happened on the 13th of 14th of June, sorry, southeast of Wick in Caithness. Following an investigation by the UK Airprox board said various factors contributed to the near collision. These included equipment called a transponder on the Typhoon not working, lack of the transponder, a situation not prohibited under regulations. I'll say that again, not prohibited under regulations, affected the detection of the jet's altitude by radar. Uh, the course of the incident in June, which saw the aircraft coming within 300 feet, well, uh, 300, what was it, 30 meters, 100 meters is slightly more than 300 feet, vertically of yeah. each other, was the late sighting by all the pilots involved in spotting each other's aircraft. And this, to me, is the crux of the matter. They weren't in controlled airspace. Uh, they were in uh, under flying under VFR conditions, uh, albeit the uh, civil aircraft was probably speaking to a controller, uh, but all the pilots involved were flying in the uh, CNBC environment. Uh, so you're required to keep a visual lookout and avoid other aircraft you see. Um, so the pilots of the twin prop jet stream said the typhoon passed close enough for them to clearly see the markings. Well, perhaps they should have spotted it earlier and moved out of the way. Contributing <laughs> factors included a lack of traffic information to the typhoon pilot by a Swanwick-based air traffic controller. Also, the typhoon not having a working transponder meant a moray sector air traffic controller had no altitude information on the fast jet. Well, he presumably had other information on him, otherwise they wouldn't have mentioned that. Uh, the UK Airprox board gave the incident the second highest rating of B, which man, means that safety of the aircraft was not assured and may have been compromised. Uh, since the incident, the RAF has ordered that the jets do not depart from their stations when secondary surveillance radar is, that is basically the transponder, is not available other than for exceptional operational requirements. Um, in the old days, uh, we um, didn't really use transponders very much. Uh, the airspace they were working in was, uh, uh, you know, uh, it was not controlled airspace. They were all free to maneuver there and share it. Uh, so uh, it seems to me that um, uh, if you want to take the responsibility of flying in airspace where you have to keep a lookout and you cannot rely on your radar controllers to tell you about everyone uh, there, then uh, you need to keep a really good lookout. And uh, it seems, uh, I think, probably the, the typhoon bloke must take a bit of a hit here because he's, after all, got a, is a military pilot and uh, his job is to go out and spot things. And what's more, he should have an edifice radar in his aircraft capable of finding little things like a jet stream. And perhaps he wasn't being quite as sharp as he should have done. He's checking his email. Yeah, he probably was, yep. Probably pressing that takeoff button or land button or <laughs> trying to find it. Or Wait whatever. a minute. 
Was that made by Air- Airbus? Ah, but it's uh, this it's a modern fly-by-wire airplane, so they it's, oh, uh, they all okay. work, isn't it? I mean, uh, yeah. So yeah, I don't know Jeff, what to say Jeff about it, know, really. That's right. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> To be fair, flying a low level over Scotland was great, but you don't tend to find uh, civvies uh, a couple of hundred feet going up the Great Glen. Um, But at a couple of thousand feet, then uh, they used to be around there quite often. Uh, We tend not to, in the military, tended not to work uh, on air traffic frequencies because uh, uh, we were usually doing training exercises and the last thing you needed to do was to try and speak to an additional agency as well as everything else that's going on. Life is very complicated for a military pilot anyway without having to try and involve a civil uh, air trafficker who doesn't really understand what you're going to do and asks you continually for heights and headings. And when you're in a fighter maneuvering all over the sky, you're not going to provide that kind of information. So pretty much useless uh, in most cases. Uh, And we've just relied on seeing people. This guy obviously didn't do it fast enough. But I think the uh, error, the jet stream, probably carries as much responsibility. Yeah, there you go. See and avoid. And uh, in this case, the, um, they didn't smack each other, so I guess it yeah. was a, a happy ending. We used to call it CMB hit airspace. <laughs> but exactly. Probably more. Uh... That's a little sarcastic. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let it snow, let it snow, so there we go. Thought uh, I'd throw in some uh, little musical interludes on this show since it's uh, mid-December. We're getting closer and closer to Christmas, and we're in the midst of uh, Hanukkah. The next one I'll play will be a a Hanukkah song, apparently, uh, according to the uh, U.S. Air Force's Airmen of Note. By the way, this is not copyrighted material. Okay, uh, Steph, you want to hit the next one in the uh, mailbag? Sure. This is the one from Mark. Um, so this is sent in by Mark. He sent us a kind of a screenshot of a uh, from probably from an in-flight um, information magazine from ANA. And he said, feedback, a friend traveling on ANA sent this fleet page to me from the in-flight magazine. Diverse, especially the last one. So, you know, you go to your in-flight magazine and it tells you about all of the different aircraft that that airline has within its fleet. So for ANA, for example, here, they've uh, the first picture is actually of their, their cargo uh, service. They've got a Boeing, Boeing 767-300 uh, freighter. Um, the next one down says Airbus A320. Then Boeing 737-500, the smaller, shorter Boeing 737. And then a very interesting entry, the last one, um, Millennium Falcon. Uh, And it actually goes on to detail. The wingspan is, you know, 25.61 meters, a length of 34.37 meters. Maximum speed, fastest in the galaxy. Number (laughs) of seats, six. (laughs) It doesn't mention that it did the Kessler run in uh, 
uh, twelve parsecs or whatever. <laughs> Uh, it, it might be there. It might be there in um, Chinese or uh, Japanese. Uh, uh, sorry, Japanese. Uh, yeah, there's probably more information yeah. involved in a lot of kanji stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't read Japanese. I'm sorry. I probably don't say that. So, but yeah, very, uh, very fun, very interesting. Good, good sense of humor there by ANA. So, yep. Oh, Ivor objects. Irresponsible. I'm assuming that <laughs> he's talking about the uh, ANA brochure maybe he's talking about something else perhaps um well i think it's only irresponsible if you include the millennium falcon safety uh, evacuation routings instead of the correct one <laughs> nick i'm concerned about you are you feeling okay no i'm fine sir i'm just trying to be christmas here <laughs> okay well because uh, on the video uh, nick is turning colors it's like he's a horse um, multi color, right but you know when you're the green color it reminds me of the grinch Smurf. Yeah, Smurf, yes. yeah. Smurf, Grinch, Father Christmas. Smurf, Grinch, Father Christmas. <laughs> Way to go. Wow. Okay. We wow. Yeah. There we go. Um, I need to record Dana saying, wow. Wow. So that if he's not with us, we can still hear him say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> uh, Dana, you want to take this next one yeah, by Salt Jake? Lake. Yep. I got it for okay. you. It's opening up. Hey, APG crew. It's Jake here in Salt Lake City. I was listening to APG 298 and thought I'd share a story regarding the toga takeoffs. Last spring when I was working for one of the Salt Lake City FBOs, we had a United 777-200 divert to Salt Lake due to maintenance. This airplane went over to the terminal and deplaned all of its passengers. By the end of the day, the airplane was was fixed. On that, on the day this uh, this triple seven departed, I was working as an aircraft tower. I, I believe he was. Uh, I, it says tower, really, but he was towing aircraft around. Is what he's saying. Because of this, I was out on the edge of the taxiway towing aircraft across our ramp. This particular FBO is located on the east side of the airport, right next to runway one seven and three five. Normally, the larger airlines depart either runway uh, 16 left to 34 right or 16 right, 34 left. And that's very true. Well, on this day, as I was uh, right next to the taxiway at the end of runway 35, I heard the distinctive whine of the GE90 at low power setting. I looked up and watched this 777 taxi onto runway 35. This was some the same 777 that had diverted to Salt Lake for maintenance and was departing empty on a ferry flight. I knew it was empty and knew we were about to see a show. This aircraft was only about 300 to 400 yards away from where I was located and when they advanced the throttles up slightly and then to Togo power. The amount of thrust and sheer power coming out of the back of that very light loaded 777 was astonishing. I hope he didn't stand behind it. Uh, <laughs> this particular, not. Uh, try not to. This particular takeoff took the record for the shortest takeoff roll I'd ever seen in Salt Lake City. And for those folks who don't know Salt Lake City very well, it's right around uh, forty-five. Uh, it's a little bit lower than that at the 4,200 feet. Forty-two hundred feet. So that's pretty. You know, it's, it's significant elevation. Uh, so, of course, decrease the aircraft performance, increase the takeoff roll. It was about around 3,000 feet mark when it, when it uh, uh, rotated, blowing dust and exhaust everywhere. It climbed out steeper than any airplane had ever seen at a civilian airport. This crew seemed to be having some fun. Of course they were with this takeoff, and they sure did put on a show for all of us on the ground. 
I talked with some of the Salt Lake Air Ops agents, and they informed me that the uh, aircraft took off so violently that they blew over some of the runway lighting. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know if this, uh, yeah, ooh, yeah, I don't know, but well, anyways, keep up the great work. Makes me drive, makes my drive into the airport much more enjoyable. I hope to be in the right seat soon myself. Yes, we do. We hope you're in the right, right seat as well. Pass my instrument check ride. Congratulations. That's awesome. In September, and now working on my multi-engine commercial, APG has been a huge inspiration for me, and I always enjoy listening to the show. I don't know. We're corrupting him, I guess. Yeah. As always, blue skies, tailwinds, and clouds, cloud streets for the glider pilots. Jake, <laughs> Salt Lake City. Jake All right. Did you say – Did you, like did, yeah. Did you say um, something about uh, Toga? Toga. 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 One of my favorite movies. <laughs> Every time we talk about Toga on the show, I always think to myself. Oh, I got to get that clip. And yeah, uh, I remembered job. to do that last week. <laughs> Here's a shorter version. Toga! 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 Okay. Fading out. Actually, I thought that was a shorter version, but apparently that's just the long one as well. well anyway. Does anybody uh, have a thought that it took no. so violently <laughs> that it blew over some of the run? How would it be any different? the amount of thrust coming out of the engine when it's taken yeah. off with people on the, in the airplane versus a light takeoff. It, yeah, I, think, yeah. I, I don't think that's uh, possibly an accurate statement. I don't think so either. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> when, when I read that right. earlier, I was like, hmm, I don't yeah. know. That Probably one. to make this me, more me sensational. Mm-hmm. Of, or course. Could be. of course. Yeah. Well, a friend had a friend who total friends, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I yeah. No, I could see some of the barrier lights, you know, those, those portable barrier lights that they put up. To blockade, mm-hmm. you know, a taxiway. I could see that. Yeah, but blowing a All runway right. light out of its socket. I don't think. I don't think so. <laughs> hey, Chipper sent us some feedback. Uh, Chipper Jones. He used to play baseball for the Atlanta Brave. No, it probably not the same one. Anyway, uh, hey guys, keep up the great work. Love the podcast, Captain Nick. I went hunting for the Electra from the last Plain Tales. Of course, he sent this in a while back. Uh, that's supposed to be at Charlie Yankee. Uh, X-ray, X-ray, CYXX, my home airport. I hangar my plane here and live in Abbotsford, and I couldn't find it anywhere. I'll keep searching, but I looked all around the Con Air site to no avail. By the way, I fly a Mustang II, which is a two-seat laminar flow, 200-knot VNE airplane. Nice. Maybe you guys should visit in August when we have the biggest air show in Canada, or Canadavia, I like to call it. We can all go looking for the Electra, I guess. <laughs> that would be fun. We'll have a meetup looking for the Electra. Anyway, Chipper, you can fly the heavies right in here as we have 9,500 feet plus of runway. Come down, y'all. Sounds like an invitation. It does. I think that's somewhere near the uh, Vancouver area in um, British Columbia. It's just to the south of Vancouver on the edge of the city. Um, Yeah, I I, I found some photographs of it that have been reported by aircraft spotters. Um, uh, And I even found it on Google maps when i searched it but you know those are a little bit behind the drag curve they're not obviously real time and i think by the time that uh, chipper went to look for it they either chipped it uh, chopped it up or perhaps they resurrected it and 
got it airborne. I don't know. But uh, uh, the next time I looked on Google Maps, I too could no longer see uh, it because it was parked right mm. near the road, facing the road. Uh, and um, I, I had a picture of it there from close up from somebody who's driving past, and it had no engines in it. So I don't know if. Didn't fly away on its own. No, I don't think they fixed it. They might have just, just dragged it, it away. Yeah, yeah, broken it up. That, that would have been very sad, I know. But uh, there you go. That was the uh, one that had that dreadful uh, three-engine failure. Uh, oh, yeah, one out yeah. of Stansted, and uh, the guy landed it on one engine, uh, nearly at max takeoff. Like pretty, wow, pretty good trick. But uh, that's I, good stick and rudder skills there. Oh, great! And it, but it would have been lovely to have seen that the airframe was still around, and you know, it just kind of closes the story off. But it was sad to see that it might no longer be around. Oh, well, Chipper, always remember. We strive for at least at least fifty percent accuracy here yeah. at the APG. <laughs> yes, this sounds like it was accurate at one point. It was. Yeah, it was. So Everything is we accurate not, at one we point. Were not <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's some Hanukkah music. And no, it's not my little dreidel. We're not going to talk about my little dreidel on the show. Mm-hmm. United States Air Force, Airmen of Note, Jazz Band. And their stuff is available on iTunes and many other places out there. Check it out. It's good stuff. All right. Um, Jay. Yes, sir. I was just going to say something, but this is a family show. Okay, thank you. It makes it easier for me when I'm editing. Uh, Jay writes, hi, Jeff and crew. Jay from Australia here. Longtime listener. First time leaving feedback. I was going to leave you an audio feedback, but I've been busy fighting off crocodiles and killer kangaroos. Uh, I think that's a joke. Anyway, wanted to ask you guys, have you ever had any issues with blocked sinuses whilst flying? I recently did a cross country and I thought I was over a cold. My nose was clear and I thought my sinuses were too, but I started feeling the pressure and couldn't clear my ears at around 4,000 feet. I know your aircraft are pressurized to normally around 8,000 feet, right? It wasn't painful, but I definitely didn't want to climb any higher without being able to equalize. I wondered what a professional pilot would have to do in that situation. I guess you would need to return and land, right? Also, we recently ferried a light sport plane across the bottom half of Australia, which for me was a big learning experience being a low-time pilot. Here is a link to some video we got on the three-day trip if you're interested. 90 knots, true airspeed doesn't get you anywhere too fast, and it turns out Australia is quite big. Blue skies and all that. Jay. And he put a link to his uh, YouTube channel um, and uh, the particular video, uh, the flying across Australia. Uh, Moore Robin to Port Augusta. Is that the way you pronounce that? M-O-O-R-A-B-B-I-N. Moore Robin? Moorabin? I don't know. Never been to that place before. Um, I, so, don't, I don't know, uh, to tell the truth. Uh, I, I've, I had one experience um, many, many years ago, back in the 727, flying into uh, Portland, Oregon. And I, too, thought I was over my cold or whatever it was. And 
I was wrong, and the uh, one of the sinus cavities above my eye, uh, it felt like somebody was taking an ice pick and just like stabbing it into my forehead. It was that painful, and I swore to myself, if I'm ever, ever not 100% sure that all my sinuses were clear, I'm not going flying. And, you know, that's usually the number one reason I call in sick for trips. It's not knowing for sure whether or not my sinuses and stuff are, are completely clear because it's so painful. It can be debilitating and incapacitating. And it can catch you off guard a little bit, too, because it's one of those things where when you're on the ground and you're not worrying about having to equalize that pressure, you do feel okay. Um, I've had that happen just as a passenger on a commercial flight where I thought I'd been fine for several days. And then you get up to, uh, you know, altitude. It wasn't so much on um, on departure and ascent. It was actually on the descent where I had the most trouble with it. I just could not get it to clear. And same thing. There's actually like one of my maxillary sinuses. It felt like someone had that same ice pick or, you know, right, uh, right above my tooth. Pain. You know, and I mm. thought my tooth was going to fall out of my head because it hurt so bad. But it's it's not fun. And definitely if you're feeling even a little bit congested, you're sure not sure your sinuses are clear, don't go flying. It's it's not worth the pain and discomfort. So I would imagine um the Valsalva maneuver mm-hmm. to equalize. That's more your you, that's your station, station tube, tubes, right? correct. So it doesn't do anything for your sinus cavities. Mm, not a whole lot. You know, you can still have the same problem with your eustachian tube if you you know, if you have um fluid in the you know in the ears and things like that that you can't clear with the valsalva maneuver but definitely it's a little bit trickier when it's within those bony cavities that don't have any other uh air release uh access points so so would um i carry in my um suitcase uh afrin uh-huh. and, and nasal spray um i'm not sure how fast it's, acting that is but would that help you think you know that's just going to decrease inflammation for you um yeah I, I I wouldn't count on that as being the thing to get you out of that kind of a, a bind. Okay. So, so I mean, I'm a bit surprised he had this guy climbing because usually the problem is that uh, you uh, don't have a problem climbing up because uh, there's escaping from inside mm-hmm. of these cavities and the air escapes usually quite easily. But um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> A problem. <laughs> you look like your sinus cavities might be able to compromise. Well, yeah, I think you might need to clear your sinuses. Oh uh, you look to. like you look like a drunk Russian man. <laughs> so again, uh, for all or of those Chinaman. listening to the audio podcast <laughs> that aren't, aren't not seeing the video, you need to uh, take a look at the video occasionally to see uh, Nick and and what he's up to with all his filters. I think you guys are being a bit rude, personally. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, but it's once the air's out of the sinuses, and then when you try and descend, uh, that's when the little entrances block. And uh, of course, as the air inside the sinus uh, drops in pressure. Uh, and um, uh, the pressure outside increases, you get that pressure differential, and that's where the pain comes. It kind of rips the inner lining of your sinus cavities away, and that's really horrid. So, uh, yeah, if you get any pain climbing, stop and go home again. Uh, That's the most sensible thing. Um, But uh, quite often on the way down, there's little you can do. You've got to get down. you that air is eventually going to equalize. When the blood starts pouring from your nose, you probably know you've done some damage. When it starts coming out of your ears, you've probably had a baritrauma and it's time to stay on the ground for a few months. Ugh. Again, a del- Delta P problem. Yes, yeah. Delta P. Yeah. Wait a minute. Hang on. Here we go. 
Got to be faster on the trigger, don't I? Sorry. Although sometimes you... Oh, never mind. Uh, let's see. I'm going to skip the order or jump around a little bit just to make sure that we get this in. You know, we were talking about on the last episode, the... Uh, in fact, I think I... No, it was two episodes ago. We were talking about the uh, Christmas vacation for all uh, at a certain major U.S. legacy carrier. And uh, we have a gentleman who happens to fly for a very similar major legacy carrier. And he sent us some audio feedback to kind of give us a little idea of what uh, went on in this particular situation. So take it away, Colonel Jeff. Well, hello there to the entire APG community, including uh, Captains Jeff, Dana, Nick, and Dr. Steph, and Rick, wherever you are. (laughs) This is uh, Colonel Jeff. And I got some feedback about the American Airlines scheduling fiasco for the Christmas holidays. No, we don't all have Christmas vacation. Uh, basically, this is how it works. And Dana alluded the, to this in the uh, 301 episode. Our trips dropped to us around the 16th of the month prior. And on the 22nd or 23rd, the schedule finally goes final and we can begin trip trading. So what this means is you, if you have a green trip, trips are either green or red, kind of Christmassy, how appropriate. Well, this year, every trip on every day was green and stayed green. It's not supposed to do that. Certain days, especially weekends and holidays, are supposed to trigger increased manning requirements so fewer trips can be allowed to be open. Did he say green? We're going green. We're going green. Nice one. We're We're going to have Christmas vacation because all the trips are green. Yeah. (laughs) Even though this never happens, happened before, every trip's green. We're going to take full advantage of it. (laughs) Wouldn't you? (laughs) All right. Here, uh, let's continue with that. Sorry to interrupt, Colonel Jeff. For some reason, that system failed. And none of the trips ever triggered the red light to come on so we have a beautiful green december <laughs> for everybody um i did not realize this i actually had a trip that just traded when trip trade opened it was a christmas eve till the day after christmas trip 24 25 26 and i put in a trade to trade that for a 26th of december trip and that's not an unusual request i've gotten christmas off that way before uh, by trading for trips around the Christmas holidays. So that trip went through right away, and that's all I really needed to do to adjust my schedule, so I didn't pay much attention to it. I did notice that all my trips were green, but I didn't want to move anything around. Then all of a sudden, the blast from the company comes out, telling us that uh, cease and desist, stop and hold, everything's now locked out. So yes, there were about 15,000 flights flights not trips uh, and you can fig- consider we're doing about 5,000 a day um, that's three days of flying that we didn't have sufficient manning to cover all of them based on the amount of open time that doesn't mean all of those trips would go unmanned uh, there are sufficient reserves to probably cover about half of that um, so the company just unilaterally decided they're going to pay us time and a half and the union immediately sent out a blast to all the union members. Well, that's all well and good. But the company, quote, Airmarks, quotes, 
says they're going to pay you time and a half. There's no guarantee they're going to do that because it's not in the contract. So they told us to cease and desist and don't do anything about it. So uh, the company realized their faux pas finally and um, sat down with the union and it got up to 200% for identified trips. So these trips were typically the holiday trips between about the 22nd and the 31st of the other month. And it, it is by aircraft type, by base, by division. For example, in my bid status in New York as a captain on the 737 domestic, it's the 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Those are the trips that are identified as getting double pay if they're in open time. And even then, it's not all of them. It ha- depends how many days it is and stuff. So, so no, we didn't all get vacation. We just got days off. And that's how it really worked out. Now, there's still a lot of trips still there. They adjust the uh, trips that will be paid double time every afternoon at 5 o'clock. And it, you can look at them on our, our company website um, for us, our, the pilot's company website. So that's the whole thing. It really wasn't a vacation disaster uh, a la Ryanair. Although they may all be being on vacation now, I understand, with uh, they're possibly going on strike here next week. So <laughs> that's where the issue stands with AA right now. I imagine if by the middle of next week, if more of those trips haven't been picked up, we may see additional pay incentives uh, for the pilots. Now, this is not a new situation for American Uh, Several years ago, we went to a preferential bidding system uh, for the flight attendants. And somehow, all the senior flight attendants flew over both Christmas and New Year's. And all the junior flight attendants only flew for the first half of the month. It was an absolute total disaster. And the company did something similar then where they had to go in and um, offer increased pay. Now, the flight attendants already get holiday pay. At that time, they did. And so uh, it kind of caused them a mess. But uh, so that's the whole thing. Anyway, hope this makes it in time for today's episode. If not, it'll be on the next one. Merry Christmas, everybody. It made it. And uh, so everything is all hunky-dory. Oh, wait, what? Oh, hang on. Jeff and I were having a little discussion after he sent in his audio feedback, and he sent me a link to this from Forbes. Bah humbug to double time. American Airlines pilots resist Christmas flying. Resist! (laughs) So, uh, let me read a little bit of this. It is uh, growing increasingly clear that even at double time pay, many American Airlines pilots have not been persuaded to give up their family holidays and fly in the days surrounding Christmas. Nevertheless, the airline is continuing to assure December travelers that there will be no cancellations. Everything is okay. Everything is going to be okay. Last week, the airline acknowledged a scheduling glitch, the old glitch, allowing many pilots to drop their December flights, putting more than 10,000 flights in jeopardy of cancellation. The double time for flying between December 17th and the 31st was a hastily worked out solution intended to incentivize the pilots to pick up those flights without crews. The pleas continued over the weekend for captains and first officers, and yet some 1,200 flights, largely in the eastern United States, are still without the required crew complement a problem that affects both international and domestic flying. In Charlotte, the airline is lacking more than 150 pilots for international flights between the 23rd and the 28th. 
It's down to 200 in Dallas-Fort Worth and in Miami as well. Chicago and New York's LaGuardia aren't in good shape either. Ask pilots at the carrier and they'll say it is no mystery why the airline is having trouble getting them back into the cockpit. Even with 10 to 20 years seniority, many pilots and Americans still cannot get holidays off. For them, the software glitch was a gift they couldn't refuse. When pilots going over their December schedule saw the green light indicating they could drop flights, many probably said, I haven't had a Christmas my entire career, according to Dennis Tazer a spokesman for the Allied Pilots Association, which represents them. When the computer showed that they could opt off of holiday flights, Taylor suggested they didn't muddle through the why, they just did it. Then they told their spouses and their kids, hey, I'm going to be home for Christmas. When asked about the predicament today, American Airlines referred me back to the press release it put out last week that read, if Santa is flying, so is American. But... Taylor told me the airline and the union, not to mention the schedulers, are meeting every day to try and make that happen. Sure, tis the season of warmth and generosity, but even with an offer to earn double time, the flight deck of an airliner is no sleigh. And this year, many American pilots are opting to eschew the money and play Santa at home. Again, that was from Forbes.com, Christine Negroni, contributor. So... I guess things aren't quite yet yeah. hunky dory. Glad I'm there. not taking an international flight out of Charlotte over. I uh, thought those about you, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be messy, so we'll look forward to the. Uh, I'm sure it'll be all over the news here at that point. So, yeah. I, I mean, I would, th- and being that I'm a nice uh, non-Catholic guy, by the way, um, I would think about. <laughs> That's my Santa's hat. Yeah, uh, he's wearing a Santa hat that is moving around and singing and has lights on it. Not distracting at all? No. Not at all. But, you know, if, if they pay... Is there a way to turn that off? <laughs> oh, good. If they paid me like 400%, maybe I'd think about it. But other than that, I would not. Yeah. No. I'm, I'm Do I get the impression that uh, Americans don't have very good relations with their management? Huh? What are you kidding me? No way. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's just you know, there's a the the group that's standing up for the interests of the pilots and management who has business interests, and I, I think this is a hard position because it really wasn't the fault of the pilots that they were able to drop these these trips, you know. And why would you think about it, honestly, if you're used to you know, you may not have even been thinking, oh, that's kind of abnormal for for Christmas, or maybe you were, but you know, why would you question it, it? It seems to me that it was pretty obvious to them that there was a problem with the system. Well, Jeff, uh, they, they, was, uh, that was a great example that he gave. He said that he looked in and, you know, dropped the 26th or yep. traded for a 26th trip and didn't think twice about yep. it. I mean, it didn't, he no, didn't, no, no, didn't no, dawn no. on him that all no. his trips were green. You know, he just did it and no, moved on. I, I'm, I'm sure he didn't. It's just that there seemed to be an awful lot of pilots out there who probably seemed to have gone, Hang on a minute. This never happens. This never happens that we can all swap our trips and I don't have any trips that I can't swap. And this is uh, the time of the year when this is least likely to happen. So let's say you suspect that and you're one of 15,000 pilots. Oh, yeah. But I'm just. And you know that, you know, even if they knew that, that there was something wrong with it, they thought, well, if I don't, then somebody else will and I'll be the one stuck flying. And somebody junior to me maybe will be at home with their family and I've never had a Christmas holiday. 
Yeah, I mean, just you know, throwing that hypothetical out there too. I yeah, I know what you mean though. I I would look at that too and go, well, this can't be right, but I better take advantage but of having, it. <laughs> having accepted that the the software has thrown a glitch. I mean, if it was uh, a software in another area which um, uh, disadvantaged the pilots, I have no doubt they would be kicking and screaming, saying, "Absolutely, you can't have this kind of lousy software here. Fix it." And we're not going to obey anything it says because it's worked in the advantage of the pilots. I think they are taking advantage is my personal feeling. Whether that's right or proper is up to our listeners to decide. Yeah. And I think that the individuals that took advantage of it uh, knowingly uh, that, you know, that that was something wrong, um, you know, they're going to have to live with their own conscience consciences i guess i suspect though that if the if the relations between uh, american pilots and their management aren't as robust and good as some other airlines then they will yes they will say well it's your fault and if you want us to fly you're just going to have to pay us lots so to to say that the relationship between the pilots that fly for american airlines which were um, let's see, what was the uh, airline in uh, Phoenix uh, stuff? Um, America, America West. West. And then U.S. Air and America West came together, and that was a terrible merger, and the pilots hated each other and hated management. And now take that group and merge them with the American Airlines pilots, and now you have this mixture of everybody hates everybody kind of thing going on there. Oh, dear. I know that's a generality. Well, but, yeah, you know, I mean, for me, they're I'm- good people. You know, we know people. Uh, who are part of our APG community that aren't, you know, amongst those who are, are bitter and, uh, you know, you know, mean and mad at everybody and would probably go out of their way to help their company. Uh, but I don't know. I think probably the minority. I think you put any of that animosity aside and you just look at it and say, you're in that situation. And whether you realize it or not, now you have vacation plans or holiday plans with your family that's really hard to go back on, especially this time of year from a family standpoint. So once it's already, you think it's already been worked out and okayed and, you know, been blessed by the the company. So I, I don't know. I can see it both ways here, but I, I do. I would be thinking about the poor, you know, passengers that bought their tickets and were expecting to go to uh, grandma's and no, not you. <laughs> no, I do see that too. But I mean, it's just a, it's a hard situation to resolve. I think. Yeah. What you doing over there, Dana? Make, making noises. <laughs> Got that mic switch? Dana, hello? He's muted Dana. the audio, so he's not listening to us. But Dana. How you doing, bud? How's it going over there? <laughs> Are you sure he's an airline pilot? I mean. <laughs> hey, Dana, can you hear us? Well, now you're muted. Hello. There you go. What's up? C- can you hear us? Yeah. Okay. Well, we heard all kinds of uh, t- screw tightening and all kinds of noise. <laughs> yeah. We were just, and then you weren't responding at all. So we we were wondering what was going on. Yeah, I've got this incredibly distracting hum that comes through this focus right. So I was just seeing if I could fix it. Sorry. Okay. I thought I had so, the mute on. That is on me. <laughs> Like you okay. muted us, so you couldn't hear what we were saying, but we could hear everything. It was it was just funny. <laughs> good. 
we hope you don't mind the, us. I'm glad I can be the butt of the joke. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I hope you don't mind us uh, having fun at your expense. Oh, of course. I don't like you should go back and watch this part at least. It's, That's it's yeah. Come on now. <laughs> okay. Well, now let's uh, continue with the show. Uh, Holden writes, hi, Jeff, Steph, Dana, Nick, and any special guests on the show. I'm a fairly new listener with a month's worth of listening under my belt so far. Love the show. I work in the accounting department for a major U.S. carrier based in Dallas-Fort Worth. Maybe we'll call it uh, Acme Red, White, and Blue. And I love hearing pilots' perspectives about the business, since I only see the bills that you all generate. Anyway, I'm writing to offer up a first-time experience that happened to me while en route to Phoenix from Dallas-Fort Worth via Albuquerque on Friday, November 17th. There was a small incident at Albuquerque involving a suspicious package in the terminal that resulted in gate holds, taxi delays, the whole shebang. This isn't why I'm writing, but it is slightly relevant later on. As we were turning final for runway 26, I glimpsed a military fighter of some kind at about our 10 to 11 o'clock, slightly lower, a few miles away, also turning in for 26. I thought it was a little odd, but figured ATC wouldn't allow separation to fall below the limit. We continued the approach for another 10 to 20 seconds, and as we aligned with the runway, I felt the gear retracting. I could hear the song in my head, sang the first lines under my breath, and started chuckling a little as the 737 went to full power for the, guess what? You can yes, for the go-around. The poor guy next to me in 4C probably thought I was crazy. Yeah, he probably did. <laughs> <laughs> you are crazy. After landing, the ABQ station manager boarded to inform us that we'd been held on board the aircraft until we would be held on board the aircraft until TSA could clear the threat. So I took the opportunity to approach the cockpit and ask the captain and first officer if the go around was for the military aircraft coming into our approach. It sure was. I thanked them for initiating the procedure rather than continue the approach sat back down safe and sound until the all clear was given and I could cram myself and onto the last seat of a Mesa CRJ 900 to Phoenix. Gotta love the non-rev life. Cheers and beers from Dallas, Fort Worth. And thanks to that flight crew for taking the safe option and going around. You can always go around. Can't get enough of that. And honestly, Every time, I'm sure many people share this same sentiment. Every time I'm flying and I'm thinking about, I'm briefing a go around, I'm seeing what's happening in front of me and thinking, you know, I might have to go around in this situation. I hear that crazy song that I love. We all love. Absolutely. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, didn't get a chance to mention it two weeks ago when I was on, but uh, we had fog roll into, uh, into Atlanta. I was sitting there at eight right ready for takeoff. And I saw a uh, company uh, go around. It was a mad dog. Presumably probably didn't do his auto land check because it went from oh, probably about a mile down to less than a quarter of a mile within minutes. And so I saw the uh, the mad dog go around. And that's the exact song that came into my mind as I'm sitting there <laughs> just before takeoff. You can always go around. It was amazingly fun. Yeah. And uh, just a reminder to everyone, uh, Ken Dravis is the uh, – writer and singer of that uh, piece of music and i'm hoping that he still is okay with us playing it it's fantastic back from i hope so <laughs> yeah too i might be in jail next week we'll carry on without you 
Yes, please do. Okay. Please do. Okay. Uh, let's see. Silview. And uh, as always, he puts his uh, uh, pronunciation, phonetic pronunciation in parentheses. Uh, he says, uh, hi, APG crew and community. I'm almost certain that you've seen this, but in case you haven't, and I haven't, uh, here's a link. And he puts the link there. It shows just how versatile the general aviation aircraft are. In case of an emergency, they can land almost anywhere. By the way, great podcast. Love the plane tails. Keep it up. Blue skies, tailwinds, countless IPAs, and bourbon for Dana. Yay. There you go. Yay. You weren't left out. <laughs> Okay, so in this uh, link in the show notes, you'll see um, an airplane. And let's see, what kind of an um, airplane is it, uh, Steph? Can you... I don't know um, for certain. It says somewhere in the article. Does it? And let, me, I, let me look further down. I can't uh, find it. Like an Aero Command? Oh. Sorry, Rockwell, International. Rockwell, International. Rockwell International 12A fixed wing signal. I think we all saw it at the same time. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so if you watch the video, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell because it's not a super clear. It's a dash cam video from a police cruiser, I think. Um, and can you see, does it look like the propeller is going around or, uh, or is it I fixed? I can't or? tell from the, I'm watching like the, the one that's on kind of a loop here. Yeah, me too. I can't tell. To be and honest. I'm thinking to myself, if it, it seems to me that if it weren't rotating, that you'd be able to see it. Uh, so I'm assuming right. that. Well, I just can't that, tell if it's hidden in some of the other yeah. holes of the wings or the elevator or something. I can't tell. They said that you know, the the uh, pilot uh, had um, engine problems, but of course, you know, we don't really know exactly what that means. Uh, did you? Is it fuel starvation? Uh, was the engine still running and not producing enough power, or you know, was it stopped completely? I don't know. It doesn't really go into that much detail here, but well, it is pretty impressive. It is the the final picture where he's parked on in the hedge of the side of the road. It's definitely not turned. Then it's very still. Well, yeah, yeah, it's definitely. Thank you, thank you, Captain Nick, for the quite, quite damaged, I might add. At that point, I've watched this video over and over and over and over. You know, even watched it earlier. Uh, I think that propellers. Uh, Free spinning. Yeah, uh, I, you know, could it's, be. it's not. It doesn't look like it's fixed because you can clearly see as it comes over the top of the uh, uh, trooper SUV that there's no fixed fixed uh, prop there. It's it's definitely rotating. And I've yeah. I just expanded up the still they've got, which is the last image before it just goes over the top of the. Actually, I added that to the thing. I got I got it Did from you? another uh, article and put well, it in the. That's, in pretty, our notes. Uh, that's a pretty clear image, Jeff. And, mm -hmm. uh, the prop is is not visible. It's uh, I think it's, yeah, it it's must gone. still be repeating. <laughs> that could be the that might be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. See the accident investigator and me. You know, I want to see the propeller and to see if the tips are bent. Right. And yeah. the, that they're kind of curled at the end. That usually means that it was actually producing power, right. but uh, we don't know. All right. I guess the investigators will, from the NTSB, will have a go at trying to figure out exactly what happened there. But uh, looks like the uh, pilot and his passenger made it safely out of the uh, crash, and uh, they managed to not hit any cars or anything. So it was a, a happy ending. Well, this is always the thing. I mean, it looks a very inviting uh, idea putting it down there, but. When you've got uh, something that weighs a lot more than a car and doing uh, two or three times the speed appearing on your 
on your road. I mean, the potential of uh, of killing other people, uh, innocent bystanders, is, is quite high. So, well, I think yeah. I think folks who aren't pilots always think too. Oh, yeah, if you're in a small aircraft, a road is a great place to to land in an emergency. But for one, you mentioned the cars. Um, I definitely see power lines along this road in certain places, not where he managed to land. Um, there's train tracks just ahead of where he actually touched down. There's actually a not a very high median or divider, but there is, it's unlevel pavement. So it's not, you know, always the ideal situation for yeah. a forced landing, but just lots. Yeah, but they, they did a good job. They, though, they, as yeah, you exactly. Said. They did a great job in this situation. So just a lot to think about. Yeah. yeah we're not really sure exactly how they got themselves into the situation, perhaps totally innocent, you know? Well, considering there's no post fire, I mean, we're right now we're all Monday morning quarterbacking, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, he, he did the best or made the best decision at the time that he had to, to evaluate where he was. He's probably pretty low considering he was close to the airport, I would imagine. Um, and wasn't going to make the airport, you know, whether his engine quit, whether he ran out of fuel, we don't know. But I think one of the biggest telltale signs that he may have been out of fuel. If you notice, if you take a look at the still photo of the aircraft, uh, you know, torn apart here, there's no evidence whatsoever of any liquid on the ground. Number one, number two, there's no post fire. So that to me would be a big indicator that maybe he ran out of fuel. I think they found that if you run out of fuel, then the uh, you'll have an engine problem. Yes. Generally speaking, yeah. they won't run. Very true. And obviously the engine was still, I mean, in, in my opinion, because I'm looking, looked at that video numerous times, I couldn't. I couldn't see the prop in a fixed position, so that would it. it the, the clearly the, the the prop was still able to move, so I don't think mm-hmm. the engine had a seizing problem. So yeah. I, I think maybe, maybe fuel. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll check back with that um, article, or, or maybe it's in the. Um, well, I know for sure it is in the air safety uh, database. In fact, that's oh, yeah. why I got that clear yeah. picture, uh, and we'll kind of maybe if we remember to check back. Uh, sometime in the future and see Several if they determine exactly what was Slash happening. a year from now, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Steph, I think I'm going to put you on that one. Okay. I have to make a sticky note for myself here. I'm on it. <laughs> okay. Hey, you know what? This would be a perfect time, I think, for this week's installment of Plain Tales. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales. Wrong Way, Ferguson. Buffalo, Wyoming is nestled in the foothills of the beautiful Bighorn Mountains and is conveniently located at the intersections of Interstates 25 and 90. Unfortunately for Lowell G. Ferguson, it is also inconveniently close to the town of Sheridan, just 35 miles up the road. Western Airlines Flight 44 left Los Angeles on July the 31st, 1979, to seven locations, including Las Vegas, Nevada, Denver, Colorado, and Sheridan, Wyoming. By the time the flight departed on the leg from Denver to Sheridan, it was some 35 minutes behind schedule. The original flight plan would have taken the aircraft from the Denver Air Route Traffic Control Center to the Crazy Woman Navigational Facility for an instrument landing in Sheridan. 
Shortly before reaching Crazy Woman, however, control of Flight 44 was transferred to Salt Lake Air Route Traffic Control Center. Visibility was unrestricted, and Salt Lake Center offered Flight 44 a direct clearance to Sheridan along Airway Victor 19, which passed directly over an airport in Buffalo, Wyoming. Flight 44 accepted the new plan in order to save time and fuel. Operating the Boeing 737 that night was Captain Ferguson on the radio with his first officer, James Bastiani. Neither Ferguson nor Bastiani had flown into Sheridan before, and I'm not sure what they talked about that night, but it certainly didn't cover a rather essential subject. Had either of them actually been to Sheridan before? The result was that they both believed the other had, when in fact the airport was new to both of them. However, although Ferguson reviewed the navigational charts, he failed to notice that the Buffalo airport was directly under the aircraft's flight path. At approximately 10pm, both Ferguson and Bastiani saw runway lights and commenced a visual approach to what they assumed was Sheridan Airport. Perhaps they were fatigued, or perhaps the captain assumed that James Bastiani knew what he was doing, but Ferguson did not use the available radio navigation aids to make a positive identification of the airport. During the approach, Ferguson maintained radio contact with the Sheridan Flight Service Station, Although the air trafficker controller in Sheridan informed Flight 44 that another aircraft was on final approach, neither Ferguson nor Bastiani inquired further when they were unable to see it. In addition, although the airport at Sheridan was equipped with visual approach slope indicator lights, Ferguson did not ask why the runway before him was not so lighted. In spite of the fact that Ferguson was, according to the Western Airlines Flight Operations Manual, under an obligation to land the aircraft himself, First Officer Bastiani landed the Boeing 737. It was not until the aircraft's landing gear nose wheel sank into the turn-off pad beyond the runway that Ferguson realised that he might have made a mistake and that Flight 44 had landed in Buffalo. The error was confirmed when the jeep that drove up to meet them bore Piper insignia rather than the expected Western Airlines logo. Other than sinking into the taxiway tarmac, a surface that was not equipped to handle the weight of an airliner, there was no damage done and the 737 was soon flown out again from Buffalo's 4,500 foot runway. Not, however, by Ferguson and Bastiani, who had both been suspended. The Weekly World News, a publication that, according to its own assessment, is rooted in the creative success of over 30 years of supermarket tabloid publishing and has been the world's only reliable news source since 1979, covered the event under the headline Bamboozled pilot flies into Cowtown history. 
It goes on to suggest that the captain didn't make a hit with Western Airlines brass when he landed a Boeing 737 at the wrong airport, but he's a hero in the tiny cow town he made famous. Apparently, a cow puncher even wrote a poem to make sure that nobody forgot the day that wrong way Ferguson flew into Buffalo. It was titled Lowell's Last Landing, or Whoa, damn it, whoa! According to the paper's enthusiastic reporter, the little airstrip at Buffalo, which handled no commercial aircraft, was soon renamed Buffalo International Airport. Garris Grover told the news that it put our town on the map and gave us something really special to celebrate. Over in the next town, the folks sit outside at night, and if they see a car drive by with Minnesota license tags, that's a cause for celebration. The paper went on to describe the landing when it wrote that Ferguson, who carried on flying for Western, hadn't planned to become a Cowtown hero, but he soared to fame when he landed Flight 44 and its 94 befuddled passengers, some 35 miles short of their intended destination. The big goof-up upset Western Airlines and infuriated the Federal Aviation Administration. However, in Buffalo, which once saw the likes of Butch Cassidy and Buffalo Bill Cody, the townsfolk were delirious with joy and made Wrongway Ferguson a local hero. The humorous incident reminded old-timers of the day in July 1938, when Douglas, wrong way Corrigan, took off from New York on a flight to California and landed in Ireland. In this true story, Corrigan, who helped build the aircraft that Lindbergh flew across the Atlantic, had wanted to repeat the successful flight. However, the Bureau of Air Commerce rejected his application to fly non-stop from New York to Ireland as it deemed his aircraft as unsound. Repeated attempts to get the required permissions failed, but he flew his Curtis Robin OX-5 monoplane to Floyd Bennett Field in Brooklyn anyway. Whilst officials were distracted by the imminent departure of Howard Hughes on a world tour, he refuelled his aircraft and filed a departure for California. Asking for permission to take off, he was told he could use any runway as long as he didn't depart to the west. At 5.15 in the morning, and with 230 gallons of fuel and 16 gallons of oil, he took off to the east and kept going. Corrigan claimed to have noticed his error after flying for about 26 hours. After around 10 hours, he had felt his feet go cold. The cockpit floor was awash with gasoline leaking from an unrepaired tank. He used a screwdriver to punch a hole through the cockpit floor so that the fuel would drain away on the side opposite the hot exhaust pipe, reducing the risk of a mid-air explosion. He had no radio and his compass was some 20 years old. However, he landed at Baldonnell Aerodrome, County Dublin, on July the 18th after a 28-hour, 13-minute flight. His provisions had been just two chocolate bars and two boxes of figs. 
he was met in Ireland by the journalist H. Knickerbocker, who wrote of his flight, You may say that Corrigan's flight could not be compared to Lindbergh's in its sensational appeal as the first solo flight across the ocean. Yes, but in another way, the obscure little Irishman's flight was the more audacious of the two. Lindbergh had a plane specially constructed, the finest money could buy. He had lavish financial backing, friends to help him at every turn. Corrigan had nothing but his own ambition, courage and ability. His plane, a nine-year-old Curtis Robin, was the most wretched-looking jalopy. As I looked over it at the Dublin aerodrome, I really marvelled that anyone should have been rash enough to even go in the air with it, much less try to fly the Atlantic. He built it, or rebuilt it, practically as a boy would build a scooter out of a soapbox and a pair of old roller skates. It looked it. The nose of the engine hood was a mass of patches soldered by Corrigan himself into a crazy quilt design. The door behind which Corrigan crouched for 28 hours was fastened together with a piece of baling wire. The reserve gasoline tanks put together by Corrigan left him so little room that he had to sit hunched forward with his knees cramped and not enough window space to see the ground when landing. Aviation officials took 600 words to list the regulations broken by Corrigan's flight in a telegram, a form of communication that, due to its cost, was usually kept brief. Despite the extent of Corrigan's illegality, he received only a mild punishment. His pilot's certificate was suspended for 14 days. He and his plane returned to New York on the steamship Manhattan and arrived on August the 4th, the last day of his suspension. His return was marked with great celebration. More people attended his Broadway ticker tape parade than had honoured Lindbergh after his triumph. To his dying day, Corrigan still maintained that he had flown the Atlantic by mistake. The FAA treated Wrongway Ferguson a little more sternly as his licence was suspended for a full 60 days. Feeling that perhaps he had been hard done by, Ferguson did, however, appeal his suspension with the US Court of Appeals Ninth Circuit in the case of Lowell G. Ferguson versus the National Transport Safety Board and Longhorn M. Bond, Administrator of the FAA. His case was that under the FAA NASA Aviation Safety Reporting Program, he was entitled to a waiver of punishment because his actions were inadvertent and not deliberate, and that his conduct was not reckless within the meaning of the FAA regulation. He lost on both counts. Ferguson was temporarily demoted because of his error and was sent for some retraining. However, of the incident, he said that he considered his demotion as the appropriate thing to do. This was a serious mistake, and as the captain, I was responsible. 
Despite Western Airlines, the courts, the FAA and the NTSB's opinion, the people of Buffalo still thought of Ferguson as a hero. In the archives of the United Press International, we find that in 1981, Lowell Ferguson attended the town celebrations of his feat by landing at Sheridan as a passenger. He failed to attend the previous year's event under the advice of Western Airlines officials who apparently did not find the incident amusing at all. He was greeted by a crowd of over 500 with many wearing Wrong Way Ferguson t-shirts and the Buffalo High School marching band. Fearful that the real Ferguson would again have to decline to attend the celebration named in his honour, the Chamber of Commerce invited any people who could prove their names were Lowell Ferguson to attend the festivities as guests of honour. Five Lowell Fergusons from around the country accepted, and they all rode a fire engine together during Saturday's parade. Following his reception at the airport, Ferguson, the real one, his wife and two children were escorted to the various events planned around the celebration. Ferguson planned to participate in several of the events himself, including a softball game and a buffalo chip-throwing contest. After the event, Ferguson was quoted as saying, All the people of Buffalo treated me great. In this world of serious business, it's great to have some fun. I only hope that he was referring to the celebrations and not the fact that he landed at the wrong airfield. Wow, here is to Wrong Way Ferguson and Wrong Way Corrigan. Cheers. Ah, Absolutely, what excellent. a great bloke. And what wonderful people there are in Buffalo, Wyoming. <laughs> I just Crazy. think he's great. Despite what everyone else said, they think he's a bloody hero. I think that's great. <laughs> I think I can help you out, Captain Nick. Uh, a buffalo chip is uh, the uh, number two deposit of a buffalo onto the ground. And ah, okay. it kind of flattens out and hardens and bakes it becomes in the sun uh, a little bit. Yeah, bakes. It's dried poop. It becomes a, uh, a poop frisbee. Exactly. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, that's obviously a major sport in buffalo. And right and there is your show title. I was going to say that's the show title. Right there. <laughs> poop, a poop frisbee. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. But the, the wonderful thing about this story, and I have to thank uh, Joe uh, Fella or Fela. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I think that's F-E-I-L-E-R, Fela. I think that's pronounced. So apologies, Joe, if I get that wrong. Now, he comes from uh, uh, Kilo, Charlie, Papa Romeo, Casper, Natrona, County International Airport, Wyoming, for the suggestion. Uh, and in my uh, little bit of uh, investigation I did about uh, uh, Wrongway Ferguson, that led me to uh, the story of uh, Wrongway Corrigan, which I'd never heard of before. Now, other people have, but I hadn't. And so I hadn't I, heard of that either. And, that, that was and that's a much more egregious area, <laughs> era, error. <laughs> well, of course, everybody assumed he did it deliberately. 
and he yeah. claimed not to so that he wouldn't be you know uh, uh, given okay. a hard time but uh, the, the lovely thing is that right up to the day he died he completely uh, denied the fact that he had done it deliberately and it was a mistake but how on earth you could go 26 hours without catching sight of the ocean <laughs> Exactly. I don't know. Oh, you thought it was over the Great Lakes or something. <laughs> and the fact that after 10 hours, when he had this massive fuel leak and it was his feet were being soaked in petrol, how he didn't yeah. try and descend and land at an airport, had he been heading for California, he could have done that. Um, I don't know. But to me, it smacks that he was obviously thought he was over the ocean. No point in trying to go down. I must yeah. find a way to get rid of this gas. <laughs> so you're you're a little suspicious of his veracity. I, I, I would I, hate to there. I would hate to a liar, <laughs> yes. but there is that little, you know, just a little concern in my brain. Now, you know that uh, I'm, I find it interesting. That th- I think cha- things have changed uh, since then, because if you landed at the wrong airport and you did file a NASA form, I don't think that uh, they'd be able to punish you uh, these days uh, in, in our current safety reporting environment. But, uh, well, that was one back. aspect I read and uh, I read more than once, and that was because mm-hmm. I got a lot of this stuff from the actual transcript uh, and legal paperwork that uh, Ferguson had filed to try and get his uh, punishment overturned. That's where mm-hmm. I get a lot of the story from because it's all detailed there. Um, but I just couldn't make head to tail of uh, the position the uh, authorities took uh, in denying him uh, the opportunity to have that overturned. Um, and there was an awful lot of um, explanations as to why uh, that wasn't going to happen, but I'm afraid it, hmm. it was all legalese and I couldn't get to the bottom of that. But uh, uh, is, is it that you have to do it um, pretty quickly? after You have the, to do it within 24 hours. Right. So he may not have perhaps adhered to that, yeah. or, or perhaps this was one of the cases. It was back in, what, 79? Perhaps is one of the cases that uh, led to a change in the rules so that you could. But uh, certainly if, if it is a sort of get-out-of-jail-free card, then he should have played it pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That would be the first thing I'd be thinking about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How do I protect myself? <laughs> NASA, ASAP, um, somebody help. CYA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. Must be a terrible feeling to land at the wrong airport. And, and Hope I, I never get that feeling. And I agree with you, Jeff. I mean, unless you do something completely out of the ordinary and do it on purpose, um, like, for example, if you have a drink before you go to work, uh, you, you're not going to be covered. Under the right. you know the ASAP program, but if mm-hmm. you do something and you know you say you you know you put in the frequencies, you did everything the, the way that we're trained to do, um, and you make a mistake, you probably as long as you you, you file the report, you're probably going to be okay. You know, yeah. you're going to get some training, you can get some talking to, mm-hmm. but they're not going to violate you more than likely. So right. I agree with you. Mind you, Unless you really want to be violated. Well, <laughs> 60 days was not serious. We're not uh, talking about going through suspension. TSA. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, what are we talking? We're talking two months off flying because uh, they've suspended your license. Uh, well, yeah, not probably bad, not. Probably not covering your pay either, uh, because it sounded to me like Western wasn't was none too happy about the uh, incident. Oh yeah, oh yeah, a little bit of demotion in there. So well, there you yeah. go. Take rough with the smooth. Do Western hey, at least still- he got his job back, right? Oh yeah. Do Western still exist? Uh, no, yeah. it merged with a company uh, that is very similar to Acme. 
Oh, right. Okay. Oh. In uh, the nineteen mid-1980s. Ah, oh, right. So I wonder if anyone in uh, Acme might have heard of him. I don't know. When was the incident? 70-something? I bet some of the captains that I probably used to fly with, um, you know, probably uh, had flown with him. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. If there were some long-term people out there, geez, I didn't start flying until 74, and Mm -hmm. this happened in 79, so there might well be some people still kicking around who uh, know of him. Anyway. As far as I know, I may have even flown with him at some point. Who knows? (laughs) Anything's possible. Didn't you know yep. he was wrong way, Ferguson? <laughs> no, I was wondering what the WW stood for. Huh. It was Thought like, it you know, his World first War name and then parentheses <laughs> WW and then Ferguson. I love it. I love it. Why is everybody calling him wrong way? Hmm. All right. Hey, how about some audio feedback? Hi, all. It's Graham Haley here from the UK. Firstly, congratulations on 300 episodes. The hard work and time that you all put in is very much appreciated, especially you, Jeff, on producing such an entertaining and informative show. On to my question. It's primarily for Nick, as I know he's going green and performs reduced engine taxis. I'm not sure if Jeff and Dana do on the Mad Dog. I was sat on a flyby flight and uh, noticed they always taxi back to the gate when they reduced engine taxi on the number two engine of the Dash 8. So I assume that's standard operating procedure for them. Uh, Nick, do you always taxi on the same engine when you do single engine, and why that particular one? And then, is the additional engine time accounted for during maintenance, or is it just assumed to be roughly the same as the other, and they treat both the same? Look forward to hearing the answer. Thanks again for the great show. Clear skies and tailwinds to you all. Graham, out. Thank you, Graham. Uh, Nick, what do you think? Uh, good question. We always, uh, or generally, taxi in on the left engine if we're on a twin-engined aircraft. If I'm on the 340, we taxi in on the outboards. Um, I think it all depends which systems are uh, kept going by particular engines, and uh, you obviously choose the safest engine that has the most systems running off it or the um, most critical systems running off it. Um, we always usually fire up the APU as well, and that has to be going beforehand so that that can provide additional systems to uh, cope with the uh, ones that are lost when you shut an engine down. And um, engine monitoring is uh, very sophisticated, and uh, yes, they will almost certainly, in fact, I'm, I, even the, without even looking or asking anyone, I am certain that they will take into account the different uh, hours used by individual engines uh, when they're shut down uh, a little early. Uh, so, yeah, I hope that answers. Question about the, uh, uh, the Dash 8 in particular. Does it have to do with that being um, a turboprop engine and the passengers are disembarking on the left-hand side? So perhaps that's why they choose to taxi with the number two engine? That would make sense. That's so, interesting. Yeah, that I, I, I don't know if uh, if that would override the safety considerations of um, if that engine, say, you know, only runs runs subsidiary systems and not primary systems. I don't know. But I was uh, on the a lot of times for those those aircraft. They're you know uh, not pulling up to a gate. They're getting off on the stairs there onto the ramp area. So. That was just a thought I had. I'm not. I have no idea. Yeah, but you know, it's just a thought. it seems it seems to me that the uh, the twin engine uh, airplanes that we fly at Acme, uh, th- when they shut down, they usually, I think they're usually using the number one with the number two shut down because that's the side where all the rampers come and open up the cargo doors and start offloading bags and that kind of thing. But I could be wrong about that. Uh, I think it does have a lot to do with, as Nick mentioned, the 
the actual systems that are involved with each of the engines and which ones are the critical ones when you're oh, sure. on the ground. Well, um, and, and that's, I mean, that's true with Acme, but our aircraft, the right side is more critical, especially yeah. to hydraulics. Uh, for, but, uh, fortunately, you have the, you know, the right, you know, the, the right pump on the right system. It's the primary pump with the, you know, transfer pump is a backup to the left. So you can right. depend on that, but uh, certainly the right side is more, more critical. Yeah. Um, on the tail mounted, you know, on the on the airplane that Dana and I fly, uh, if we're single engine taxiing out or in, and we've been doing it for three decades mm-hmm. at Acme, um, a long, long time, nothing new. Um, it uh, is generally the number one engine, the left engine, and I always get a kick out of and it, but it doesn't matter because pretty much for the most part, except for what Dana just mentioned there, uh, it doesn't really matter much whether it's the number one or number two engine running. Uh, but we just kind of out of habit uh, taxiing, taxi out and in on the number one. And the other thing I think is funny is that I don't know if you've experienced this, Dana. Have you ever been to a place and they're pushing you back and the guy on the tug says, uh, clear to start number one and sure. or, or maybe number two? And you go, OK, um, so why why are you specifying which engine is clear to start? Because they're both back there mounted high up on the tail and if there's anything that's going to be affected by the engine start that means that it's probably going to be affected by you pushing back the airplane <laughs> into something well you know I'm, I'm gonna throw a little wrench into your theory well tell me yeah, yeah. because Maybe if you you're dealing with a 73 or, or an airbus um the engines are much closer to the ground so in theory right. if they're in a normal freudism that is they're not thinking about the airplane they're pushing it very well could be that they're thinking about seven three or eight or well exactly most- that's that's what i mean is that like well why does it matter you know because our engines are not close to the ground right. they're way up in the air and uh and, and so nowadays when i hear that i just don't I, I basically ignore it uh but i used to say well why can't i start up number one or why can't i start up number two as a men in equipment or something like that. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm just not going, I'm just going to drop it. It's not worth arguing about. Obviously this person pushing back the airplane is not really thinking this through, but anyway, they, they never the, world, fun, the world from your, 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 mm, I'm not going to say anything. I'm gonna, okay. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> okay. Oh, he was, he was going to say something that was going to make me fire him. No, no, not at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, you know, he was just, he was just it's, marveling it's, at the workings of your brain and how uh, uh, you yes, view the world and perceive things. Is that right? You no, know, it, it's one thing if you've worked down there on the ramp and done the job. It's another thing to see the world from our our view inside the cockpit because the world, according to us, is completely different than the rest of the world. And. Mm-hmm. <sighs> So, you know, I completely get the thing, uh, as Liz is saying, force of habit. I understand what you're saying. And and that's my first inkling is that, okay, they're thinking, okay, this is just like the 737, the 320, whatever. But after I say, okay, but why can't I start the other one, the, the one that you didn't mention? And then, you know, I, but it might be my rational mind says, well, then they would think, oh, 
Oh, yeah, that's right. They're both up way up there and shouldn't really matter on this airplane, but they don't. But see, you, <laughs> you think, like, you're, you're thinking is the one pilot sitting in the one airplane, and that's all they're dealing with. And you've got to realize that they may have pushed back five, six, seven, eight airplanes that day. And it's just a, it's a, it's a force of habit. It's just a force of habit. And it's, it's, it's not particular to your aircraft, whereas you're particular to your aircraft. Like Nick is particular to his 330 and 340. We're particular to the 88. They're not particular to any aircraft, just like the flight attendants. Sometimes they get confused working on our aircraft because, well, they may just come off a 320 or 319, but they may have just um, come off a, a 7.3 with an added fl- I mean, I don't know, but the reality, is, what, are you, what are you laughing at? I'm just laughing at Liz's comment. <laughs> don't confuse them with the facts, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, and that's, and that's probably the best way to put is it. Is that yeah. you know? Listen, we work in a a very sterile type of world. We we go by checklists. We're used to things going A, B, C, D, E. Very organized with all type A's, right? So we want to control everything. But in reality, our view from where we sit in the cockpit, and that's the whole reason why we do this show is that because our view and what people understand and see uh, outside the cockpit, it's completely different from what we see. And that's what you're talking about is that, listen, why can't I start one and two? I mean, it's TTL. Well, what I'm trying to tell you is that the guy may have just pushed back an RJ. He may have just pushed back a 7.3. You don't know that. And that's that's it's just, it's just a routine they get into. You clearly start, if they say that, you clear to start one. You clear to start two, or you okay. just clear to start. I mean, well, I'm sorry, I mentioned it. Um, no, don't be but, sorry. Uh, it's a, it's no, no, but I, I, I think that's why now, if if somebody says something like that, I just kind of go, okay, you know, and I completely ignore it. I just do what we normally do. Exactly. And and then I guess the last thing that I I can add to all of this is, I have very little patience for stupidity. <laughs> okay. Um, moving on, moving on, and please don't assume that I'm. Aiming that toward me, anybody that works at, at in the ramp or you, at me, or, at me. Or Bob, or Dana, yeah, Bob, yeah, Bob. If you're listening, come on, use your head. I don't know any Bobs. Bob, Bob, Bob your head. <laughs> Bob your head. Well, you know the same thing can be said, Nick. I mean, uh, Jeff. It they have no idea what we do. They really don't. We don't even have any idea what we do. No, we have a very good idea because we have our view from my <laughs> side of the cockpit. There you so, go. Our, I'm, our I'm view, done. I'm done. view from our side of the continent. I'm, I'm done with that, uh, whatever that was. Okay. Gonads are useful for their purpose, but they are no substitute for brains. Okay. Uh, let's see. Let's move on with some more uh, feedback. You know, I'm going to skip Ralph right now because he asked a whole, well, let's, let's hit some of his questions. Why not? Congratulations on your 300th episode. Keep them coming. If you're, at an altitude where you would normally re- be required to use oxygen, and if you have a flight attendant, do you still need to put the oxygen mask on since you have a second person in the cockpit? And the quick answer to that is yes, because you have to be in the control seat. It refers, if somebody leaves their control seat, yes? I was just to say, it refers to the minimum flight crew, and yes. that extra person up there is not minimum flight crew for operating the aircraft. If I'm not hanging the hose, we have a rapid decompression and I don't get it on my face in time. The flight attendant that's, by the way, not allowed to sit in our seat, at least at Acme Airlines, um, that will be standing 
and they're going to be no good. They're they're not going to be able to get to the control seat and a mask on and actually start flying the airplane any faster than I would be sitting in my seat without an oxygen mask on. So it's all about safety. So it makes no difference. Um, but now, if you have another qualified crew member that is sitting in the jump seat, I would imagine that if you move to the other control seat, now you have two qualified pilots in the control seat. As long as they're qualified in that airplane, I guess maybe you could say, well, you don't have to be hanging the mask. I don't know. I would still do it just to be just to be safe, just to be, you know, certain that you're Do complying. you ever have to wear a mask? Uh, yeah. So we have a situation that a lot of times it's just the captain and the co-pilot and first officer. And we were flying somewhere and the first officer uh, obviously doesn't have a very large bladder and drank too much coffee before we push back and has to leave and... And, the, and Dana's saying, yeah, well, it's usually the captain that does this. But in my experience, it's the first officer. Um, okay. And, uh, be, well, you know, I think I have a – I kind of have a long-range bladder, and I don't drink as much water as I'm supposed to. So I don't have that problem usually. But uh, so if, let's say, Dana and I are flying together, he's got to go. Um, we're en route, so we don't have a jump seater. So we have to have one of the flight attendants come in to the cockpit while Dana's back – using the restroom. And if we're above 25,000 feet MSL, uh, I am required to hang. What is I'm hearing? Well, Dana's muted his microphone, but he's shouting so loudly we can still hear it. Yeah, we can still hear you, Dana. What are you yelling? <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm muted. No. no, you're not completely muted. That only get that only brings it down to like minus 25. It doesn't bring it down to zero. <laughs> Now he's completely muted, so he can scream yeah. to us. So his... what we're going to do is I'm going to take that audio, and I'm going to turn it up, and I'm going to hear exactly what you were saying. Yeah. And so this might be the last show that Dana's yeah. on. No, you know. know what I was saying? is my, I was talking to Julie. She's down at CS. She just arrived. You did not hear the uh, garage door opener coming up and no, closed. No, I didn't. You didn't. I actually had it muted. And so awesome. I was saying hello to my wife that's downstairs. Ah, I gotcha. And she said okay. she's uh, cooking, and I said I'm calling the fire department. I was I was That's hoping was HR was going to get a copy of that. I know. I was tell, looking forward to it. Send it anyway. Send it anyway. We'll, well tell her we'll that Jeff Jeff that. played a rim shot for the fire department. <laughs> but uh, I, exactly yeah, so I'm like I'm I'm like talking, going, what is that? What is that audio I'm hearing? It sounds like somebody's yelling, and then I see you in the little video going like saying something. Yeah. So this little mic switch, the it doesn't completely mute you well, now, just, we, now we know <laughs> now we all know <laughs> yeah. by the way i would have happily been your prisoner's friend uh, dana and supported you in the hr interview we love him your job is safe yeah. your job is safe thank dana. you oh, i appreciate that yeah, yeah. But um, he's not going to give you that in writing no so i never put <laughs> anything in writing jeez <laughs> So where was I? You're I was talking about, about Dana going to the bathroom before he was yelling yeah, at his yeah, wife. Yeah, small bladder. Yeah, small bladder. Yeah, so above 25,000 wow. feet, we have, to, we have to hang the mask until, um, until the person comes back and occupies the control seat. So, yes, uh, because we don't have like a full crew complement like you do, where you have people in the control seats uh, probably at all times, right? No. 
So it's, is no. 25,000 feet, is that a company specific? Because I no, that's FAA. That's FAA. 350. But a, that's, a no, no, when you say hang the outcome, 25. you mean okay. just put it around your neck or actually put it up? No, right. you're sucking it. It's on your mouth. You are well, sucking oxygen. It's a family oxygen. show, Jeff. We, we yeah. never do that. Well, that is an FAA requirement. Well, I, I well, guess well, you're well, not look a, at the beard not, he has on his face. I mean, that's, well, that's true. That yeah, that's another thing that, that we were not allowed to Yeah, we're not allowed to have a beard. You guys are like really stuck up, aren't you? <laughs> no, no, we're stuck in you the got Jurassic. It, <laughs> we're in the Jurassic period. I mean, it's okay. yeah. Nick? I think I love you. <laughs> but what I really feel about you is. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we don't have to wear oxygen masks, and, uh, and I can. That's because we're hoping that you'll asphyxiate. Right. Okay. Well, uh, only if someone breaks wind. In the flight deck, am I likely to appreciate? <laughs> Gary knows about that one. There you go. We don't want to hear that story. <laughs> I've got photographic evidence. That's all I can oh, say. Oh, man. Okay. So, yeah, that's our rules. You know, I didn't make the rules. So, don't, you know, don't no. diss me, man. No. However, but, it's interesting. Our company rules say that we have to put a headset on when we're on our own in the flight deck. That's just a company rule. And that is because one of our pilots was on his own in the flight deck and got a, uh, a TCAS uh, a TA, so uh, a track avoidance. So he had to maneuver the aircraft on his own in the flight deck. And at the same time, he had to try and put out a call to air traffic to say he was uh, responding to the uh, TCAS. Uh, and, of course, he didn't have enough hands to do both of that because uh, with your headset off and no n- nothing else, you're just using a hand mic and the loudspeakers. So uh, the company have decided that when we're in the cruise, we if we're on our own in the flight deck, we need to wear a headset. Ah, now if you had a control yoke and not a side stick, then he would have been able to do it. Why? Have you got a microphone in the control yoke? Yes. No. You, it's just right over here to your right, and you just grab onto the – your left hand controls the uh, – is on the yoke, and your right hand grabs the microphone, and you talk. Uh, yeah, okay. I'll rather eat my dinner off a tray, thanks. Well, I'm not saying it's you know it's, there's any advantage to that, but I'm saying in this particular situation, yes, it wouldn't right. have been a problem. Yeah, that's very true. Just saying, you know, this doesn't saying. happen very often. It's like no. a one in a million, probably. Yeah. Well, yeah. now you know why their policies are such that uh, you know we have to do a PDP and they get to go pee anytime they want. Yeah, they wear diapers. Yes, they wear diapers. Uh, let's see. Do you need a separate type certificate for the 737-200 versus the 737-900? No. And I, I don't know. No. Let's see how quickly we can get through these. No. Okay. How can you solo with a PPL? Are you within view of an instructor? Without a PPL. So, oh, without. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> so the answer to that is no, you're not always within view of the instructor, but you have to have specific training and endorsements from your instructor before you're allowed to go on those cross-country flights where you are out of their view and you are not allowed to carry passengers and you have specific uh, visibility requirements as well. So. So it's like a specific exemption. Well, and, and can I take that one step further? Yeah, absolutely. Stuff? absolutely. You actually, as long as you make it within 10 seconds. Well, 10 yeah. seconds, you, you got it. And so you have to have an, a proper uh, student medical. Oh, you yes, have to have medicals. That's and, and that's where the endorsement goes for you to be able to fly solo. No. Oh, very good. Cell phones, no problem. $10 per minute. 
then you'll see how enthusiastic the passengers are then. Yeah, it's not the aircraft fee that's the problem. It's the passengers who try and log on to ground cell phones from the air that's the problem. And no one on the ground walking around is ever going to pay $10 a minute. Next. Fees for services like external power, pushback, etc. Are these separate from landing and parking fees? Yes. How do they work? You get yes. charged. Yeah. And Jennifer could answer. And- I was going to say, if Jen is with us, yes, Jen she'll be able to answer that one. Yeah. We'll come back to you in 20 seconds, Jen. Okay. How often do you have a 100% clean logbook? No maintenance carryover items. Frequently. Mm. Frequently. Yeah. I'd say more than half the time usually. Yeah, I would say 70, 75% of the time. You're flying really clean jets. That's because I'm in them. Ah. I'm a clean Then it fixes them himself. (laughs) (laughs) He just scribbles out the. Are are you an AMP? I am not. Dana? But no. Okay. Uh, How much time for the jets from total rest to being ready to propel the aircraft for flight? At what time is the fuel introduced? And is this an automatically timed procedure? Well, that's a lot of questions there in one sentence. Um, Total. It it depends on the engine. The bigger high bypass engines take a little bit longer than uh, narrow medium bypass engines. Um, and so I don't know, it's probably anywhere from about a minute to three minutes. I'm throwing that out there. I don't know what you guys think. Uh, yeah. Five minutes is the minimum time for us on our big motors. Oh, for your warm up. But how, how quickly could you? Oh yeah. About, start about three minutes, two minutes. Okay. There. Okay. Yes. But we have, we have kind of policies that say we need to have it warm up a certain <clears> amount of time before you advance the power yeah that's five minutes i have to quantify that question depends on if your first officer is new or been around a while yeah it can take a very long time <laughs> it can take a long time <laughs> i think we're if talking it's about me it's about 45 minutes, seconds yeah. 45 well, seconds i can have that fuel engine. introduced uh it's introduced at a uh at an rpm so it's not a time this is automatically timed it's automatically gauged i think yes yeah yeah on on some engines uh, yep. when we fly the 90 that's true because it has a fadex system on the 88 we do not have a fadex system we are the fadex system oh you actually put fuel in yourself oh, yeah. that's yep. all manual great guys you, you should yeah we actually have coconuts we have coconuts connected by um palm fronds or something yeah. and a bit of strain. we the communicate with the guy in the control. back yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> engine room engine room <laughs> fuel on turn the fuel valve on number one <laughs> how many listeners do you have and i said millions <laughs> uh let's see when will <laughs> one million listeners one million listeners <laughs> um you have to watch the video when will the main cabin passengers get some good news aside from lower fares never shut up and go sit down in the corner yep good news you're going to be early to the gate what are you talking about <laughs> at what point do you, you specify a type rating oh, I'm sorry. at what point do you specify a type rating a ppl is for single engine if you test on a cessna 172 what about other similar single engine aircraft what about different types of twin be twins beach versus piper etc cetera, etc cetera. do you need to qualify for each type how similar are the cockpit layouts and then i put in here uh, kind of quickly answered uh, it in the united states which it's different i think in um it varies. new zealand yep. don't they have to like every airplane they have to have a different it, they call it a, yeah it's a different 
check out. They call it a type rating is from what but I've it's heard. Not really a I don't know if, I mean, rating. not a type rating the same way that here in the U S you need a type rating for, uh, you put it in there for the aircraft that are over 12,500 pounds or turbojet aircraft. Um, those require type yeah. ratings. Good point. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, checkout requirements can vary country to country here in the U S you know, going back and forth between different GA aircraft, um, single engine, twin engine, you're still going to want a thorough checkout as to that aircraft in particular, the systems, and go with someone who's an experienced um, either instructor or has other significant experience with the aircraft to learn all the flight characteristics. And here in the States, if I may add one thing, is that it's all driven not by any qualification necessarily by the FARs. It's actually driven by insurance. Right, ah. right. Because it's insurance, because they tell you they want you to have 100 hours with the multi-engine time to be able to fly a multi-engine airplane. Well, how are you supposed to get 100 hours with the multi-engine time if the insurance companies don't let you to fly the airplane? Catch 22. It's a catch 22. So if they don't let you fly the airplane, well, how are you supposed to build 100 hours? It's 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 crazy. So, but yeah, yeah it's you can fly any airplane if, if you're a single-engine uh, pilot. Then you can fly any single engine airplane. If you're a multi engine pilot, you can fly any multi engine airplane up to 12,500 pounds. Uh, it, but the, the real restriction is here in the States is the fact that you have to have insurance coverage and the insurance underwriters won't cover you unless you have XYZ amount of time or sign off. Exactly. Very good. Oh, you know what? Earlier in the show, I talked about the the people that said don't uh, just kind of blow through the registration number. It was Ralph. He says, also, please don't say registration number, yada, yada. Many of us are interested which individual aircraft was involved. But what happens if my registration is yada, yada? <laughs> well, then I don't know. We'll have to say something else. Or we'll have to do the phonetic. Yankee Alpha Delta Delta Alpha. Yankee Alpha Delta Delta oh, Alpha. I wonder if there is an airplane somewhere in the world that has the registration yada. <laughs> would be funny if they did. Brilliant. Uh, so, maybe can, Ed, no, not Canadian. Wouldn't, wouldn't, that's why, why. That's all. The, I don't amazing. know what why is. Yeah. Their, their tail numbers being with C. Okay, Ralph, how did we do? We do okay? He's like, I'm never Probably. sending feedback again. No. Probably <laughs> never. Not as much in depth as he was hoping. <laughs> But we do, we do, we do appreciate you though, Ralph. We really do. We appreciate appreciate everybody. We do. Absolutely. DC John, including DC John, he sent in some feedback. He says, I continue to love the show. Wow. Thank you. This guy's got some kind of a problem. I wanted to pass along this short video of a Dash 8 landing into what appears to be quite a headwind. It looks as if the plane is not making any headway or, and more or less landing vertically. Moving a bit to the left. Can't tell if that is just the angle. I'd welcome y'all's expert analysis. And uh, I looked at this, and it, it's the uh, that thing that we, I keep forgetting the term, but when you have a For big tele, a focal length, you know, like a very large focal length, like a big telephoto lens, it compresses everything. What is that, Nick? You're the professional photographer. Yeah, that's making squeezing everything together mode. Okay, that's the technical term. Is the actual technical term foreshortening? Yeah, foreshortening. That's that's going to be the official. If if you're a professional photographer, it's five shortening. But five shortening. Ah, because you're always one up. By the way, I've discovered an airplane with the registration Yada. Oh, really? Yep. It's a British airplane, Golf Yada, Y-A-D-A, and it's a C-42. There you go. Wow. 
Perfect. So, hey, this is why you listen to the Air- Airline Pilot Guy Show. <laughs> Where are you going to get that from other, any other aviation podcast? Right, too. Huh? Yeah, we I don't think so. Yep. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, looking at, uh, I did look at this uh, Dash 8 landing. Great job by the pilot. I mean, he, he did it perfectly. It was a very, not only was it a big headwind, it was a very strong crosswind as well. And he came down, he put the rudder in and he dropped the wing into the wind to compensate for the fact that he's putting the rudder in to straighten out the fuselage with the, it was perf- textbook landing in a very high crosswind situation. And bravo to that pilot. He's all that. So you should check it out. It'll be in the show notes. And uh, so uh, the answer, DC John, is the fact that um, it's it, the ground speed may have not have been super duper on it, but uh, it has more to do with that making things look closer and yeah. focal length thing. Okay. Um, Jordan, we're, this is not a photography show, it's an aviation show. Jordan uh, says, Hello, Captain Jeff and APG crew. My name's Jordan. I am an avid general aviation pilot and enthusiast. I recently discovered your podcast via flying group on Facebook, and I've quickly developed APG syndrome. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of APG syndrome. APG syndrome, which is kind of. Sad. And we do have some suggestions for how you may. It's all experimental, though, right, at this point, the go around a cylinder. But anyway, uh, moving on with his feedback. I recently discovered your podcast, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. <laughs> my present career takes me overseas quite often, and my current home in Kuwait has sadly deprived me of flying. Luckily, modern technology has allowed me to somewhat satisfy my craving for all things aviation via the many great YouTube channels online. One notable mention is Steve Thorne with his YouTube channel, Flight Chops. Yes, an excellent channel. I got to meet Steve, actually, at, what's it called? Jeez. Oh, <laughs> the big air show. Oshkosh. The big one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that big one up there. Uh, and now your podcast. I chose to support you via Patreon. Oh, awesome. And uh, mm-hmm. as well, since I believe in the furtherance of your work. Ooh, that's a big word there, Jordan. Um, I hope you guys have a wonderful time creating episode 300. Um, which is due to kick off in just a few hours. Oh, okay. This is a little while ago when he sent this in. Uh, yeah, we did. Uh, and we had a grand time. It was a, it was a, a blast. I'll be listening live here in Kuwait. Thanks again. And this is Jordan Bows. And I remember mentioning Jordan and, uh, and I think his wife, Kirsten or something like that. I think she also, uh, became a patron of the show and, uh, his PS is, I'm hoping to be hired as a Navy pilot this coming year. Knock on wood. Go Navy. Beat Army. I think, did Navy beat Army or did Army beat Navy in that game? That was just like last yeah, weekend, Yeah, you it? know, I really should I think it. one of them beat the other one. It was hard it, to tell it, in it was, snow, wasn't it? It, was a, it was in the snow in Philadelphia. I know that much. And yeah. um, I didn't watch the game. So I think that uh, was the day I was in Chicago. I think if Mike... We're in that somebody in the chat yeah. room certainly yeah, I could knows. do a, I on. could do a quick Google search answer, here. Answer, answer. I, on right. the other hand, have been to Kuwait, Kuwait quite a few times, so I have kind you? of know the country. And uh, I wish Steve good luck there. I'm sure. One, fourteen to thirteen. 
Which one? Army. Uh, Army. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, they won. Bad luck, mate. Looks like you have some oh, time. Now Dana now. comes in and tells us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, 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 Where actually, were you before? Actually, the, the truth is, well, I had to go to the restroom, actually. But the, oh. the, Navy, uh, the Navy missed a 35, 40-yard field goal to win the game. Oh, that's right. Missed, I did see yeah, the highlights on that. Or low that lights. was a great game. That was really a great game. Yeah. Apparently, Lane um, wants me to play the sad situation song for that. Apparently, he's a Navy fan as well. Oh, well. Sorry, guys. Um, let's see. What was I going to do next? Walt sent in a question, a 727 question. Hi. Hello, APG crew. Here's a question I've been wanting to ask someone for a long time. Many years ago, I was a passenger on a 727 operated by a U.S. legacy carrier. We started the takeoff roll and were maybe going 30, 40 knots when there were three very loud pops in quick succession from the back of the plane. The pilot quickly pulled the power back and we rolled along the runway for a few seconds, then went back to takeoff power. We completed the rest of the takeoff and flight with no further incidents. What would cause such a loud noise, but not be serious enough to stop the takeoff? Great podcast, Walt. Well, uh, I flew the 727, a total of 10 years. I have a lot of experience with it. Uh, what you heard was the number two engine, the one in the center line of the airplane uh, that is in the same plane as the, uh, the number one and number three, the left and right engines in the back. The intake, however, for the number two is above the fuselage in the back. And to get air into the engine, and these engines, especially under high thrust settings, require a lot of air. And it sucks that air through that S-duct. And if you are in a situation on the 727 where you have any kind of a crosswind, you have to be very careful with demanding too much power to the number two engine until your airplane is rolling down the runway at a certain point, And then you can kind of feed in full power. Um, and if you don't, then you can end up in a situation uh, like you experienced. And I've experienced it myself um, a few times. And uh, so what we would typically do on the 7-2 is we bring up the one and three throttles to a certain position, release the brakes, start rolling down the runway. And then I don't know, 30, 40 knots or so, we'd start slowly feeding in the number two engine. And then by that point, even in a pretty strong crosswind, you'd be okay. You wouldn't have a compressor stall. That was a compressor stall that you heard, the loud pops. Now, um, I would say in most cases, you would not want to just can you know pull the power back and then put the power back in and continue the takeoff uh, unless it was like a really long runway. But uh, technically speaking, th that would be uh, a reason to abort the takeoff and then try the whole thing over again. Uh, but uh, I wasn't there. I don't know what airline this was. Um, I don't know the pilot involved. But, uh, you know, that, that was probably not the policy of the airline to do that. But that's just, you know, with, without any other information, that's what I would say. Well, in, Sorry, his Jeff, perception. Did you say the 727 sucked? I didn't quite get <laughs> the number two engine did. Oh, okay, all right, fair enough. Actually, all the engines suck <laughs> and blow. Uh, but uh, yeah, that S duct and and the, and the L1011 also had the same kind of a situation where you had an S duct. But <laughs> the L1011 S duct was like, have you ever seen those big giant like ten foot diameter sewer pipes? 
was, yep. I don't know if it was actually 10 feet, but it looked like about that diameter. I mean, it's huge and huge volumes of air could get through it. And we never had a problem with the L-1011 uh, with that S-duct. But the 7.2, much narrower, and uh, it did it did have uh, some issues with, especially if you had any kind of a crosswind. So you had to be very careful with that. Interesting. Uh, funny yeah, and, enough, and, and, uh, yeah, and, and, sorry, carry on, Dana. No, I'm sorry. And I was just going to say with, you know, with the 7.2, you get three engines back there. So just as you described, you bring one, one and three up and then bring up two. His perception may have been that they may have pulled power, but in fact, probably would bring in power because he had heard both one and, th- one and th- uh, three come up. Well, except for the three very loud pops that he heard. Yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, to me, again, I wasn't there. And just based on his description, it sounds to me like they weren't completely thinking about, or maybe they thought the crosswind wasn't enough to be a problem and putting the power. I mean, you do have to pay attention to the winds and which way you're pointing. Like if you're doing a rolling takeoff, you had to be cognizant of the where the wind was coming from and where you're going to get the best flow. And, you know, if you didn't, uh, then then you could have a problem. And uh, I mean, that J, it's a, the engine on that airplane was just basically the same as what we're using on the uh, 88, the JT-8D, a little different version of it. Dash seven. A little bit. Yeah, it was All a little right. bit uh, more of a, uh, it was a, a beefy, beefier version of the JT-8D on the 7.2. I mean, it was like bulletproof almost. But um, it, you had to be careful with that number two because of that, that S duct the flow of air through that and you could uh, you could get the compressor stall and I've had it a few times so hope that answered your question Walt how are we doing with time here right, getting three close hours. to three hours yeah um, let's just uh, I have some more um, audio feedback I believe let's see yeah let's do this one Hello, APG crew and community. Long-time listener, well, somewhat long-time listener, first-time caller. I'm not a pilot myself, although I would like to be sometime in my life. I guess you'd call me more of an av geek. I have an acute interest in how planes operate and fly, the, the mechanics of flight and the mechanics of the plane itself. I do a fair bit of flying in my work and personal life. So, yeah, I like to keep apprised of the the situations and the current goings-on in the aviation world. That's not really why I'm contacting you, however. I attend conventions, and I don't mean work conventions. Well, I guess work conventions, too, but I don't mean normal work conventions. Uh, I'm a long-time, I guess con-goer of things like Comic-Con and ASEN and anime and gaming conventions. And when I stay at the hotel, specifically around uh, the large convention centers, like the ones in Chicago, where the airline hotels and the convention center hotels basically overlap, I often see pilots and flight crews in full uniform walking through the lobby doors in the middle of a convention weekend. And it occurs to me, is this just normal for you to walk into a hotel and there'll be people dressed in who knows what honestly waiting for you on the inside is it something that when you see it it's just oh this is another part of my daily life or is it a special occasion where you sit there and take a moment and go what on earth am i looking at 
it's something that's always kind of bugged my brain as I attend events around the world. Do the air crews that, I guess, frequent these hotels, is it a normal occurrence? Or do you have any, I guess, horror stories from it where you walk into a hotel and you're just like, I don't know what I'm looking at. Thank you very much. I wish you all clear skies. And yes, I'm giving you an excuse to play the APG Syndrome song. I believe I've caught the syndrome as well. Oh no. I hope this is not too much of a garbled mess. I'm now going to give you 20 seconds of room noise APG and cut out my syndrome. computer fan. APG Syndrome. Well, that was kind of a premature um, playing of the uh, <laughs> sound clip. Sorry. Peter, I thought you were finished. Oops. <laughs> Oops. That can be embarrassing. Um, anyway, uh, I know exactly what he's talking about. A lot of the hotels we stay in. In fact, the hotel I'll be staying in tomorrow the Hyatt Regency downtown Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, one of the last times I was there, there was some kind of a Comic-Con thing going on, and people were dressed in pretty unusual kind of costumes. And Oh, and one in Orlando. These people walking on the street, they were, what is it called when everybody's dressed up as animals? Uh, furries. I saw them in Pittsburgh. Furries. Yeah. What? It's like, yeah, I don't no. really need to ever see that again. <laughs> yeah, it's very disturbing. <laughs> it's very disturbing. Well, I've learned something tonight. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, usually with with the uh, with the Comic Con, it's usually like dressed up as like uh, like the the heroes, like Marvel yeah. heroes and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, the, the the furry whatever Dana just said, <laughs> it's like <laughs> wow, that's really weird. Yeah, that uh, that that will never ever <laughs> leave my mind what i saw in pittsburgh ever i mean they were dressed up with freaking tails and yeah they have tails yeah tails and one guy was uh willie the walrus and the guy was six five maybe 350 pounds i mean and i saw some really unique things there that i just don't ever need to see again Open up a whole new world for you there. Right? Yeah, well, whole there's, there's some. There's some uh, yeah. And I well, go yeah. the elevator, walk into my room in full uniform. This guy gets off in front of me and he knocks on his buddy's door as I'm walking by. His buddy flings to open the door and he was in his birthday suit. I didn't <laughs> need to see that. It's just, just a different kind well, anyway. of. It was disturbing. Yeah. Well, okay. So, yeah. The only- uh, as you can see or hear, uh we do occasionally, you know, end up sharing the same space and uh I always I always think it's a lot of fun. I always enjoy seeing all the different costumes and stuff. Go ahead and stop. Oh, I was going to say the only thing that I think I've been a part of that we've inflicted on um different air crews and things is for large marathons because quite often people congregate or the, there's an official hotel, but quite often that's a hotel where air crews also stay and I know we've all been piled into that hotel and there's a flight crew like trying to check in and there's like you know a thousand people in line trying to check into the hotel and we're all wearing like you know running gear and workout gear and it's not quite the same thing as dressing up in costumes but it's i'm sure it's annoying so that reminds me of that story that we did uh i don't know if it was this year or last year where the guy 
showed up to somewhere in South Africa wearing just like oh yeah running shorts or something. It was like a speedo or something, right? Wasn't it? Or speedo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was yeah. Even... <laughs> here's a store. I think yeah, <laughs> I remember it. that. And thinking, uh, really, that uh, it's not very appropriate. Hmm. Obviously, was there was more to that story uh, that we didn't know about, but. Right. Uh, Anyway, uh, so Peter, great to hear from you. And yeah, it's, uh, we, you know, we share this planet with all kinds of different people. And uh, we are sometimes brought together uh, under certain circumstances. And um, they probably look at us like, who are these people in these strange costumes? <laughs> uh, us, you know, wearing our airline uniforms. But um, anyway. Thank you for that, Lane. Yeah, and I get some of my best <laughs> tales from those furries conventions. Oh, there you go. See, I, I it benefits do. directly the APG. Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen them all. It's uh, really yeah. quite amusing. The, uh, yeah, but having said that, we arrive in uh, fancy dress as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, who's to say who's the one that's weirder, right? Exactly. Okay. Uh, with that... Uh, we have, I, I, I was very optimistic. I threw a bunch of stuff in the feedback folder and knowing full well, I wasn't going to be able to get to it all. So next time we'll cover the uh, items that were missed on this show and it's all good stuff. Please continue to send in your great feedback, um, to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. You can use the app or you can use the website, um, speak pipe, all kinds of different ways to, uh, put your two cents worth in and uh, let's see the airlinepilotguy.com website is a great place to go to learn more about uh, this thing we call the APG the uh, the show the crew the community um, merchandise the coffee fund and much much more again that's airlinepilotguy.com and Stephanie, we are also on the interwebs via social media. Yes, the social media is uh, Twitter. You can find us all together there at APG Crew. Our individual Twitter handles are also pinned to the top of the page if you would like that information. And then you can head over to Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy and join us there. There's all kinds of information, posts about aviation related things from the community, information on meetups occasionally. And we'd love to see you there. Excellent. And another great place to uh, hit in the social space is a thing called Slack, and Hillel is going to tell us about that. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan meetups and events. To get into the Slack team, please send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at HI11E1, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel at HI11E1 and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel. And it's been a great show. Thanks, everyone, the whole crew here. It's always great. Uh, every week I look so forward to uh, being with my wonderful crew and this great community, especially the ones that show up, uh, the dedicated bunch in the live chat room. Uh, please take advantage of that. If uh, you ever got, get the opportunity, I think you'll have a grand time. And until next week next episode wishing you clear skies unlimited visibility and tailwinds take care and god bless cheers y'all bye everybody good night good day
such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline, not a guy I fly Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly Boeing, I ain't going.